This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. It is wartime, and in war there are rules of engagement, morals, and values. The Palestinians conducted their fight in a despicable and deplorable way by targeting, murdering, and kidnapping hundreds of civilians. We're talking about young children, young women, and very elderly women. By these horrific murders, they showed disregard to any rules of engagement. And by kidnapping, they showed no morals and no values. It is wartime, and it's only appropriate that we will respond with the same new tools of engagement by all means necessary. It is wartime. And in war, there are rules of engagement, morals, and values. The Palestinians conducted their fight in a despicable and deplorable way by targeting, murdering, and kidnapping hundreds of civilians. We're talking about young children, young women, and very elderly women. By these horrific murders, they showed disregard to any rules of engagement. And by kidnapping, they showed no morals and no values. It is wartime, and it's only appropriate that we will respond with the same new tools of engagement by all means necessary. It is wartime, and in war there are rules of engagement, morals, and values. The Palestinians conducted their fight in a despicable and deplorable way by targeting murdering and kidnapping hundreds of civilians. We're talking about young children, young women, and very elderly women. By these horrific murders, they showed disregard to any rules of engagement. And by kidnapping, they showed no morals and no values. It is wartime, and it's only appropriate that we will respond with the same new tools of engagement by all means necessary. We will ask Helen Clark to be answerable. What did you do in those years there? What agreements did you make to sell your own country out so you could get ahead? What have you done to us, Helen? And we will cut all ties with the World Health Organization, totally corrupted. And, and we will cut all ties with the World Economic Forum, Absolutely. They are a ludicrous bunch and I would actually say that any politician who goes off to any of their conferences is guilty of treason to us. Good morning. You're listening to the Liberty NZ Breakfast. My name's Grant Edwards. I'm here till 7 o'clock and uh, welcome to the program. This morning we'll be looking at uh, Radio New Zealand front page uh, news hubs. Uh, we'll look at stuff and then we'll go across to Reuters, look at international news. We'll also be looking at Israel national news, the Times of Israel, and also we might hear some recordings from Israel News Talk as well. It's almost news time, and uh, so stand by for TNT Radio News.
your news. This is Jason Alborn with a wrap-up of this week's news. The CEO of X, Linda Yaccarino, has defended the platform's response to a purported surge in disinformation and harmful content following Hamas's attack on Israel in an open letter to EU Internal Markets Commissioner Thierry Breton on Wednesday. The social media platform has redistributed resources and refocused teams to manage the flow of information regarding the conflict 24-7, Yaccarino explained, claiming that a dedicated leadership group had been assembled in the immediate aftermath of the Palestinian militants' incursion to devise a platform-wide strategy. As a result, she said, tens of thousands of posts and other media related to the war had been removed since Saturday, while hundreds of accounts allegedly connected to terrorist groups, extremism and violence had been deplatformed. There is no place on X for a terrorist organisation or violent extremist groups, and we continue to remove such content in real time, including proactive efforts, Yakarino had written. And Russia has failed in its bid to return to the United Nations' top human rights body 18 months after it was suspended in the wake of its full-scale invasion of Ukraine. In a secret ballot of the General Assembly's 193 members, Bulgaria emerged with 160 votes and Albania 123, giving each country a three-year term on the Human Rights Council starting from January 1. Russia was third with 83 votes. UN member states sent a strong signal to Russia's leadership that a government responsible for countless war crimes and crimes against humanity doesn't belong there, said Louis Chabonneau, UN Director at Human Rights. Watch. And Hollywood star James Woods has warned that a Hamas-like army of terrorists is almost certainly walking across President Biden's open southern border every day, echoing the fear of many Americans. Biden's open border has allowed millions of illegal aliens to flood the US, including thousands of military-aged men from hostile countries such as Afghanistan, Iran and Syria. As Breitbart News reported, Biden's Department of Homeland Security has failed to deport more than 99% of illegal aliens arriving, according to a report from House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan and Immigration Subcommittee Chairman Tom McClintock. In his tweet, Wood says, pundits are wailing about intelligence failures that led to the terrorist slaughter perpetrated by Hamas against children and women. Yet not one liberal apologist has considered that any equivalent silent army is surely walking across Biden's non-existent border every day. And the IDF calls on all residents of Gaza City to evacuate their homes, move south for their protection and settle in the area south of the Gaza River. The military said in a post on X, this evacuation is for your personal safety. With more, here is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Now, many have been wondering when uh, Israel is going to actually conduct their ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. They've been talking about it for the last 72 hours. And now this order comes in telling the UN that the people in the Gaza Strip, the northern Gaza Strip, 1.1 million in the northern section, that they have to leave. They have 24 hours to evacuate before presumably Israel carpet bombs this entire section of a very large, densely populated city uh, or else they're going to die. They have to leave or they're going to die. What you're looking at here is the state of Israel basically threatening not just ethnic cleansing but genocide. There's really no other way to translate such a statement. Where are they supposed to go in 24 hours? What's the UN supposed to do? 
in 24 hours, and there's a blockade, and Israel just bombed the crossing at Rafah to escape to Egypt. This is going to be one of the worst humanitarian disasters in history. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. All right, it's five past with Grant Edwards on Liberty NZ Broadcast, and as you can tell from Patrick Henningsen, Henningsen, he is a total uh, anti-Semite. He's an anti-Semite. He hates the Jewish people. He hates Israel. And it's coming through loud and clear. And uh, and, and what he's saying is complete bollocks. And uh, I've got more uh, reports coming. We'll be going directly to Israel. We'll be going to, um, first of all, we'll have a look at what's happening with Radio New Zealand News. We'll look at uh, News Hub stuff. And then we'll cross to Reuters and also uh, Israel National News, the Times of Israel and also, we'll be hearing from a fantastic um, news organisation called Israel. used to be called Israel National Radio. It's now Israel News Talk as well. I'd encourage you, if you want to know the truth about what's going on on the ground over in Israel and Gaza, well, uh, not so much Gaza, but what's going on in Israel at the moment, because after all, it was the Gazans that attacked Israel. And Iran is involved, and the um, the reason why... The um, two um, airports were bombed by the Israelis was because they were feeding Gaza with arms. So this has to be done. And it's very strategic at the moment, too. It's not just indiscriminate bombing on Israel's part, but they will go in with a ground offensive and they will clean up. They've been, now, everyone in Gaza has got to get out because it's not their land. The land belongs to the Jews. <laughs> you, can't, you won't make a liar out of God, and you might think, oh, that's terrible, but these people ask for it. They, they attacked Israel first, and so Israel is now going to clean up. And it's all in the Bible. It's all prophesied that they, 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 I mean, they're not Israelis. They are Arabs, Egyptians. If they want to live peaceably, Israel will welcome them. But if they want to uh, kill innocent women and children and innocent uh, civilians, then they've got to go. And so Israel's had enough. And you've got to ask yourself, if you're a Christian, what would King David do? What would he do? It's seven minutes past five. The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. All right, let's... Uh, oh, blimey, blimey, that's a bit loud there. Okay, let's uh, have a look at the international news. No, no, we won't do that. We'll look at the weather to start with. Now, that music is just a little bit too loud for a poor old grunter here and his headphones, so I might just <laughs> find the volume... I don't know what, I'll have to, we'll have to work on this, won't we? Let's look at the uh, temperatures now. First of all, the extremes. Uh, Kaitaia, the highest temperature is 15.3 degrees at the moment. Uh, Waitati, Waitati, I didn't even know that place existed, but it's minus 0.1 at the moment. It's the coolest place in the country. Castle Port, Port uh, Castle Point has 43 kilometres of wind blowing through there at the moment, and the wettest place to be is Milford Sound with 3 millimetres. The temperatures across the main centre, Stewart Islands on 6 degrees, 4 degrees for Invercar, Dunedin has 6. Chatham Islands, it's nice and warm out there on the islands, 13 degrees. Queenstown has 4. Timaru, 3. Christchurch, a little warmer, 9 degrees for you. On the west coast, uh, France Joseph has 4 degrees. Further north on the west coast, 7 degrees in uh, Westport. Nelson has 8. And Blenheim is on 4 degrees. Christchurch, 9. Wellington, 10 degrees. Masterton, very warm this morning. Warmer than Wellington, which is a nice change. 12 degrees for you. A little warmer in Napier. Palmerston North, 11 degrees. New Plymouth, a bit cooler with 8 degrees. Rotorua has um, 10 degrees. Gisborne's on 12. Taupo, a little nippy there. 8 degrees this morning. Hamilton's on 9. 
and uh, Auckland's on 13 and along with uh, Huangarei also on 13. Kaitaia 15.3 degrees this morning. The short forecast for all of New Zealand valid at midnight tonight for the northern half of the North Island from Taranaki across to Tapa and the Bay of Plenty northwards. Fine spells, isolated showers from Northland to Auckland spreading through the south this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, Tahapi, Wanganui and Manawatu mainly fine weather for you. Isolated showers about Manawatu clear this morning. For Horofanua, Kapiti uh, West Coast, uh, Kapiti Coast rather Wellington and the Wairapa. Also for Marlborough and uh, Nelson as well. Cloudy periods. Rain developing tonight. For Buller, Westland and Fjordland, rain at times. Possibly heavy. Becoming persistent about Buller and Westland this evening. For Canterbury, mainly fine and into increasing high cloud though. However, scattered rain developing about the high country this morning. Otago, scattered rain developing this morning, rain becoming widespread in the evening, and Southland, occasional showers, clearing about the coast this evening. Chatham Islands, a few morning showers, and then fine weather for you folks. Well, as I've said, we'll be having a look at Radio New Zealand front page, the uh, the fake stream media, as we like to call it, here in the truth movement, uh, so-called freedom movement. News Hub, we'll have a look at them as well. Stuff, and there's some news about stuff. I heard that they're in difficulty, but we'll, uh, we'll find out as the morning proceeds. Also, Reuters. We'll also have a look at this day in history uh, in New Zealand on this day in history and also this day in country music as well. We can't forget the good old country music. Now, remember, there's only two kinds of music, country and western. We'll also go to um, Israel National News as well, also the Times of Israel and Israel News Talk as well. Hopefully we'll hear from Tamara Yona. Uh, Tovia Singer is no longer on the program, but Tamara Yona is in Israel and uh, we'll actually hear what's going on on the ground right at this moment. It's ten past five and thank you very much for joining me and uh, I will be back in just one moment. In Hebrew, the word means violence, evil, destruction. All that, 9-11, all that yesterday. We're talking about Hamas. But the word in modern Arabic has a very different meaning. It means zeal, fervor, fire, and fanaticism as in Islamic fanaticism. So what happened on 9-11, what happened yesterday was evil, destruction, death, and it was fanaticism. But here's the thing. The wor- you know what the word is? The word in Hebrew, in the Bible, is the word Hamas. Hamas is the name of the organization of terror that was behind what happened yesterday. And it's in the Bible. All right. All right, 12 minutes past five here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. And uh, that was Jonathan Khan. And right now, we're going to go to the Times of Israel and look at the front page there. Gallant says, no interest in war with Hezbollah as Gaza ground operation looms. Rockets on Israel. Prime Minister meets families of hostages. Israel restores Gaza water. IDF kills Hamas commander who led near Oz and Nimir massacres. Stirot residents evacuate under fire. IDF killed Hamas commander involved in a deadly attack as rockets fire on the south resumes. And what else have we got? Military says over 100 terror targets struck overnight. This is the Israeli military. Evacuation of Stirot residents and uh, slated to start. That's 
pretty much ready to go. The IDF spokesman says the top priority in Gaza is the freeing of the hostages. One killed in renewed Hezbollah missile attacks. IDF restricts Lebanon border area. A terror group also, the terror group, also fires on army posts, leading to exchanges of fire. Military says... It strikes terror sites after at least five anti-tank guided missiles and nine rockets fired at the north. Syria accuses Israel of bombing Aleppo airport for second time in three days. And I've just lost it all there, but it's all come back now. And the Red Cross demands Hamas grant immediate access to hostages held in Gaza. The organisation says it's been in touch with the Israeli officials since the day of the attack and it's ready to facilitate release of kidnapped, estimated over 150 people. Biden says Hamas using innocent Gazans as human shields. He phones Netanyahu and also the Palestinian Authority Abbas as well. Meeting Saudi Crown Prince Blinken calls for pressure on Hamas to release hostages. And fair in Berlin as the Star of David scrawled at entrances of buildings where Jews reside. Israelis living in German cities are fearful of rising animosity amid showing shows of pro-Palestinian support in the wake of the Hamas mass terror attack. Uh, Netanyahu holds the first meeting with the families of the Israelis kidnapped in Gaza. The Prime Minister opens expanded cabinet meeting uh, with a moment of silence for lives lost. Hamas thought we would break. Uh, we will break Hamas, says the Prime Minister. And there's a daily briefing, uh, nine, day nine of the Israeli at war. Let's, Israel at war. Let's have a listen to that now as we go to the Times of Israel. I hope it's loud enough for you. It's usually a wee bit slow, but here we go. Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. Today is Sunday, October 15th. Amanda Borshel down here with our editor, David Horowitz, and reporter, Sue Sirks. Hello to you both. Hey, Amanda. Morning. Israel is now in its ninth day of war, and we all await an expected ground incursion into Gaza. The northern border continues to heat up, and there is increased unrest in the West Bank. At the same time, amid the rage felt by Israeli citizens, there is unity. David will talk about that. Sue is here with an update on reservists' needs and how they're being met, and an incredible story of bravery. All of this and more when we are back. A surprise assault by land, sea, and air. How are you going to get these hostages back? The ruthless attack by Hamas has left us shaken. The walls closing in, the floor opening under my feet, total insecurity. Over the next few weeks, the Shalom Hartman Institute is launching a special series with Yossi Klein-Halevi and Danielle Hartman as they reflect on the current war in Israel. I have no vengeance in my heart and I have no anger. I just know that our life here in Israel is constantly this close to failure. Listen to Israel at War at ChalomHartman.org forward slash For Heaven's Sake or on the For Heaven's Sake podcast feed. David, we all heard President Joe Biden's powerful speech of support last week, and today the U.S. has sent a second aircraft carrier to the region. So what do you see as America's end goal here? Well, um, Amanda, I think, you know, the, the, the bigger picture and the context um, are crucial. Israel was, was infiltrated by a mass of Hamas gunmen a week ago. Um, 
And this is unlike anything that we've ever seen uh, in Israel in terms of civilians brutally murdered in their homes and, and at that nature party, as you know. And Israel feels that it, it, this is not something where, where the kind of previous responses um, since we left Gaza um, is sufficient to ensure that our people are going to be protected in their homes in the future. Um, and America has been incredibly robust in endorsing that, that broad picture. Uh, and therefore, as Israel is now has said, you know, we're, we're targeting anywhere and everywhere where Hamas operates uh, in Gaza, um, urging people who are not involved to evacuate. Uh, Hamas is apparently making it difficult, to, difficult for them and preparing a major ground incursion. We don't know when, when that's going to happen. Uh, it's, we know that the declared goal is to obliterate Hamas, which means, I think, most importantly, to, to ensure that it and it, its allied terrorist groups cannot harm Israelis in the future. But how this is to be carried out, we do not know. And the American presence and support um, reflects a concern um, about where things might head, especially in terms of others trying to get involved. If, as as we do, we believe that that Iran is deeply involved in all of this, has uh, helped orchestrate it, has certainly helped finance and inspire and, and train, um, and much more besides, we must remember that Iran has its own capabilities and Iran... to be vaccinated in this country and that is New Zealand if you ask my personal opinion yes we should be, it should be compulsory it saves lives massively Are you talking to your government partners about compulsory vaccination? Well look that's for the Minister of Health and others to, to, to uh, determine and of course this conversation will go on This is a TNT Radio Encore if you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. Liberty to breakfast with Grant Edwards. 20 past five, and uh, we seem to have lost our connection with the Times of Israel. So that was uh, that's a shame. Um, anyway, uh, let's uh, let's carry on with the, the news that we've got looking at the front page of the Times of Israel. Uh, I think the last thing we spoke about was uh, the fear in Berlin as the Star of David scrawled at entrances of buildings where Jews reside. So uh, it's getting a bit nasty. So you find out who people are when things like this happen. There's a lot of hatred towards the Jews. It hasn't been going on since 1948 when the British gave... uh, Israel uh, gave the, the land of Israel back to the Jewish people, the more mostly the European Jews that were under attack from Hitler. Uh, no, it hasn't been going. It's not that old. You're talking about um, it's a 4,000-year-old conflict between two half-brothers, Ishmael and Isaac. That's what it's about. Uh, so it's not something easy that all the land from the River Euphrates, which is Saudi Arabia pretty much, uh, part, almost in Saudi Arabia, all the way through to the Mediterranean Sea belongs to the, to the Jews, to the 12 tribes of the sons of Abraham. 
they they are the rightful owners according to Scripture, and we won't make a liar now out of God. Now, some people say, "Oh, is God a racist?" No, no, not at all. It's just that God, uh, Abraham, was faithful. That's what it was. He was by faith. He led them, the the children of Israel. Um, you know, he did what God told him to do. So God rewards faithfulness, and uh, so He promised Abraham all of that land. It's for him, a place to live. And the Canaanites, who they moved out of the area, were, uh, they were enemies of God. They were they did disgraceful acts, and God warned them over and over again. And He used the enemies, their enemies. He used the children of Israel to remove them. Uh, because of their disobedience towards God, so there you are. You don't play around with God. You've got to, you know, read your Bible. And we won't make liars out of God. There's no way that we will. All of that land will be is going to belong to the Jews. It does belong to the Jews. They were pushed out of it in um, AD 70 by Titus, head of the Roman legions, and scattered throughout the world. And really, and God punished the Jews. He used their enemies. He used the Romans to do that. And uh, but He also promised that He wouldn't cast them away forever. And so, you know, God is tough. You know, God loves, he's a loving, but he also hates. The Bible says God is angry with the wicked every day, and God hatest all workers of iniquity. 22 minutes past five, and uh, let's go down to that daily briefing seems to have ended. I don't know why, uh, but we'll leave it at that for the time being, I would think. That will be, yep, we'll leave it at that. Uh, Plane loads of combat gear arrive in Israel, and they will get to the soldiers soon, the IDF Defense Ministry says. And uh, also, Iran threatens no one can guarantee control of the situation if Israel enters Gaza. According to in Tehran, they condemn, they're calling it barbaric attacks. So they are calling what the Israelis are doing by uh, bombing strategic and taking out um, a terrorist. Uh, and they're calling, they're turning it around. See how the Arabs do that? It's very interesting, isn't it? How they turn it all around. The victims, they're now pretending they're the victims. Tehran condemns barbaric attacks in Strip, that's the Gaza Strip, says issue of civilian uh, prisoners in Gaza is a priority. Uh, U.S. fears Iran could become directly engaged, which is probably what some of the warmongers in in, uh, Washington want, uh, sadly. But um, now the other thing to remember is that the... The Palestinian Authority and Hamas are making it very difficult for uh, Arabs living in the Gaza Strip to actually get out. They're holding them there as human shields, which is one of the tricks that they do. They always do that. And so we just live in a fool's paradise here in New Zealand. We've got no idea really of what's going on in the rest of the world. We're just sort of, you know, in cuckoo land. We're starting to wake up now. More and more New Zealanders are starting to wake up. But it's been a slow haul. Let's move across to the um, Israeli National News now, Harut Shiva. And uh, this will be a massive, deadly, exact and decisive war. Defence Minister said that senators told him that the US would supply all ammunition and equipment Israel needs. Uh, Rockets continue to fly as the war enters its second week, according to Israel National News. And we we clearing threats for uh, safe ground incursion. Uh, We are, I would imagine that's what they meant to say, hostages in immediate danger and unbelievable suffering, apparently. Hamas is not a terrorist organization. Well, that's very interesting. 
demonstrations in Canada. Hamas is not a terrorist organization. <laughs> demonstrations across Canada, they've really lost it, haven't they, over there in Canada, supporting a Hamas attack against Israel, the claim that Hamas is not a terrorist. Good grief, look at them, uh, following Hamas's murderous attack and massacre on the southern Israel area and Israel's military response. Thousands participated on Saturday night in a demonstration in uh, Toronto uh, in support of the so-called Palestinian resistance in Gaza uh, Israel, and against Israel. In response to a question in an interview with the Canadian Rebel News website, a participant of Arab origin said Hamas is not a terrorist organisation. There we go, and I think I've got it here. Have a listen to this. Hamas is not a terrorist group. Really? First of all, Hamas is not a terrorist group. Hamas is not a terrorist group. What is it, like a motorcycle club? (laughs) It is a resistance that has been fuming for 75 years of colonialism, of occupation, of murder. It goes a lot further back than that, love. Look at her. She doesn't look 20, and she thinks she knows it all. goes way back a long time, way further than that, and there's never been a Palestinian state. Never, ever, ever. And and nor will there ever be in the future. There's been multiple uh, uh, kingdoms, united kingdoms of Israel, though, and Judah. Of rape, of little children, of women. That's what they are. They are resistance. Do you think Canada is a colonialist country too? Everything that they do is justified. Including what happened last week? Every single thing they have done is justified. Ma'am, there were children murdered. There were babies beheaded. Babies beheaded, really? Yes, they were. Please educate yourself. Please Please. check the news. Because as as a news reporter, you got to check the f***ing news. Because they said that that shit was fake. Okay? Multiple times. Different channels, different. Even Biden himself, no, his true. his ministers and his idiots said himself that that news was fake. So There's no 40 behead, beheaded babies. And there were they no- didn't say that. They didn't say 40 beheaded babies, but there were babies that had been beheaded. But there were 40 dead babies that the um, the troops found when the Israeli soldiers went in. It's 27 minutes past five, and we're listening to Rebel News in Canada talking to a young uh, Palestinian, a pro-Palestinian supporter who thinks that it's absolutely fine uh, that everything is justified for uh, Hamas to uh, kill innocent men, women and children, including little babies. No 1,300 deaths no in Israel? Evidence. There's no evidence. There's no photos whatsoever. Hamas is a Muslim a Muslim group, they would never do that because it's against Islam. That's number one. And that's something that they show. Do you really believe that? There is evidence of Israeli women saying that they gave us water, they gave us food, they gave us a a place to, to, to sleep comfortably. They gave us clothes. They got them to cover up out of respect. This is actual women having interviews, talking about when they were hostages or when they were taking in, sorry, when, when Hamas members were, were coming into their house. These are actual Israeli women saying this is how they were. Even at some point, a Hamas fighter told, told one of the women, can I have a banana to eat? He asked if he could eat, eat a banana that was in her home. Does that sound like a fucking terrorist to you? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not what we saw, though. We've, I've seen many of the videos, many of the photographs as well, and I saw absolute carnage. I saw one woman looked about in her 20s, and she had just messed her pants. She was so terrified being bundled into a car. Why are innocent women and children and elderly being taken as hostages? Why do they do that? 
That's just not the rules of engagement. If you're going to have a war, you be a man. You let the men fight. That's what Putin said. If the boys want to have a fight, have a fight, but don't involve civilians, old people, and young children. That's the problem there. All right, so that was very interesting. She claimed that Hamas is a resistance group and that it's been, it's been fuming for 75 years of colonialism. We've got the same thing happening here with the Maori accusing us of colonialism. Let's hope they don't start and uh, to try some uh, tactics like Hamas are doing. Let's hope not. Let's hope. But I, th- I think that if, um, if you have the, this, uh, this victimhood, Mentality. If people think they're a victim, they, they imagine stuff that's not actually true. All right, so that is uh, Israel National News. And, uh, and what else have we got here? Gazan civilians have the right to safety and security. Yes, that is true. They absolutely do. And uh, Israel has um, told them to get out. But the Palestinians and Hamas are not allowing them uh, to leave the area. Uh, Jake Sullivan, uh, Gazan civilians have the right to safety and security, he says. And um, in an interview with the White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, CNN interviewer Jake Tapper, confirmed that the Hamas is vile. What we did eight days ago, targeting what they did, rather, targeting civilians is horrific. But questions that what is going on right now is not a punishment just for Hamas and supplies have been cut off by Israel and Egypt to all of Gazans. Well, yeah, the, um, the Gazans were um, cutting up the water that Israel was giving them freely, cutting up the pipes and turning them into rockets. Tapper quoted U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, who said that the Russian-Ukraine conflict, Russia, had, was, uh, had denied heat, water and electricity for children and elderly and the sick. Mm, I doubt that. Putin hit the Ukrainians hard, and Blinken, he did not. There's no way that he hit them hard. If he'd hit them hard, the war would have been over. He was doing his best to uh, reduce um, civilian losses. But because NATO were using Ukrainian soldiers as pawns, uh, almost, in fact, if not now, probably over half a million Ukrainian soldiers have lost their lives as a result of Washington and London. Let's listen to that interview with um, uh, CNN, which is just, you know, what is it, Clinton News Network. So you stand for the rule of law. Again, Hamas is vile. What they did eight days ago, they're targeting civilians. It's horrific. But what's going on right now is not just a punishment of Hamas. More than 700 children have been reportedly killed in Gaza. And obviously, electricity, food, water supplies have been cut off by Israel to the totality of Gaza. Obviously, the blockade is not just by Israel, it's by Egypt, too. Take a listen to what Secretary Blinken said last year when Putin was targeting Ukrainian infrastructure. Heat, water, electricity, for children, for the elderly, for the sick. These are President Putin's new targets. He's hitting them hard. This brutalization of Ukraine's people is barbaric. Now look, Israel is not Russia. Gaza is not Ukraine. It's a different situation. But cutting off supplies, cutting off heat, cutting off water to civilians, what's the difference? Well, first, thank you for saying that Israel is not Russia because Israel is not Russia. But Second, civilians are civilians, before, Jake. We are in civilians are civilians. Contact. This amounts to a question. Yes, absolutely they are. And they deserve, as I said before, access to water and medicine and food 
and we are working actively to ensure that that happens. And I can tell you this morning, Jake, that I have been in touch with my Israeli counterparts just within the last hour uh, who report to me that they have, in fact, turned the water pipe back on in southern Gaza. That has been the subject of discussion over the course of the past few days. The United States is going to continue working with Israel, with the U.N., with Egypt, with Jordan, and with a lot of the groups on the ground to make sure that innocent Palestinians get access to those basic necessities and are protected from bombardment because they deserve that right, the right to those necessities and the right to safety and security every bit as much as Ukrainian civilians do or civilians anywhere do. And the United States hasn't made any bones about that. We're working hard on that. We're working to make sure that that is the case as this unfolds. And it's something that has been a high priority for President Biden, for Secretary Blinken, and for Mike. There we are. That is uh, Jake Sullivan. He's the National Security Advisor. And uh, that is brought to you by Israel National News. Let's uh, have a look and see what else is happening on the front page of this publication. It's called Operation uh, Swords of Iron. That is the um, operation that Israel is now implementing on the Gaza Strip. Now, uh, let's have a look here. Live updates. Israel at war. IDF intercepts rocket fired from Syria. And let's have a quick look at that one there for you, bring you up to date with that. And uh, it says here, sirens sounded on Saturday morning, October 7th, 2023, in Israeli cities and towns throughout the Jerusalem area, central Israel and southern Israel, prompting the IDF to declare Operation Swords of Iron. Multiple civilians reported hearing loud explosions in their immediate vicinity from 7.30 p.m. on Saturday. At least 3,000 rockets have been fired towards Israeli civilians. Parallel to the rocket attacks, hundreds of terrorists infiltrated multiple Israeli communities, overtaking Israeli towns on the Gaza border, murdering Jews and making others, uh, taking them back to, uh, as captives into Gaza. At least 700 people were killed at the time. That figure is way more now. Uh, dozens were kidnapped and over 2,000 people were injured in the first round of attacks. In response to the attacks, the IDF launched Operation Swords of Iron, and has since been striking terror targets, not indiscriminately striking at uh, uh, um, Palestinian children. That's just nonsense. So they're striking terror targets in the Gaza Strip area. 25 to 6, you're here with me, Grant Edwards, on the Liberty NZ Breakfast. Let's um, move away from uh, Israel newspaper now and go to Reuters International News and uh, see how things are looking there. U.S. senator to travel to Israel, Saudi Arabia, to push a deal. A group of U.S. senators will travel to the Middle East to encourage Israel and Saudi Arabia to continue talks on normalizing relations, South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham said to uh, NBC in a meeting when he met the press. And uh, an Israeli prepared on Sunday for a ground assault, Israel I should say, ground assault on the Hamas-controlled Gaza Strip. Palestinians who have lost family members in airstrikes were bracing for more destruction. Well, it's best they leave, but apparently they can't leave because Hamas are restricting them from leaving. In Washington, the Hamas-Israeli war has uh, sharpened focus on rising geopolitical risks for financial markets as investors wait to see if the conflict draws into other countries with the potential to drive up oil prices uh, further and to deal a fresh blow to the world economy. And uh, Netanyahu vows to demolish Hamas as Israel urges Gazans south, move south. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu vowed on Sunday to demolish Hamas 
as his military prepared ground operations in Gaza to root out militant group, militant, uh, the militant group, whose deadly rampage through Israeli border towns stunned the nation. In Cairo, Egypt said on Sunday that it had stepped up diplomatic efforts to get humanitarian aid into Gaza, and its president told visiting U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken that Israel's bombardment of the territory was disproportional nonsense. Health officials in the Hamas-run Gaza Strip have uh, resorted to storing the bodies of Palestinians killed by Israeli airstrikes in ice cream freezer trucks, because moving them to hospitals is too risky and, uh, and cemeteries are short of space. The, the White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan warned on Sunday of the risk of the conflict is escalating in the Middle East and said that U.S. is trying to find safe passage for American citizens out of Gaza into Egypt. Israeli's defence minister said on Sunday that Israel has no interest in waging war on its northern front and that if the Lebanese group Hezbollah restrained itself, then Israel will keep the situation uh, along with the border uh, as well. It'll keep it, well, I don't keep the situation, what does that mean? Not quite sure what they mean by that. In Moscow, uh, President Idam Aviv on Sunday, he raised the national flag in the capital of uh, former uh, breakaway region of Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, after a lightning military operation last month brought the terror territory back to uh, Abbasian control. There you are. He looks like he's having a prayer as well there. And that is uh, international news, and uh, we'll have uh, a little bit more of that a bit later on as the morning proceeds. In a moment, we'll go to Radio New Zealand and we'll see what they've got in store for us. I'll be back in a moment. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. I believe the natural order of the world is God, men, and women. And when we try to confuse women and say we're equal to men and that we have an ability, like that we should be able to control men, that's when evil I mean, happens. I don't think there's equality no, with no, men and women right, at all. Right, right. But, but, no, but I think we're supposed to submit to men's authority. And I think when we don't, that's when evil happens and so typically when when there's a dysfunction in the family it's because the woman was trying to impose her will on the man all right it's 26 minutes to six here on the Liberty NZ breakfast with Grant Edwards and Fiji is facing England after qualifying for the quarterfinals for the first time since 2007 Following all the action on Radio New Zealand's Pacific Live, you can do that with uh, the link here at radionewzealand.co.nz. It's rnz, rather, .co.nz. And uh, Election 23, National and Labour both face urgent issues. There's an analysis here uh, by, who I'm not quite sure who it's by. I'll have a click on it and I'll tell you who it's by. It's Peter Wilson. He's a political commentator. He says Nationals Christopher Luxon promised a great deal during the campaign without much detail of how it would be achieved. Now he's poised to form his government and after the reality sets in, uh, after the reality sets in, he has said that he will fix the economy. He has uh, 
broken health service right now. That'll need repairing. And he has to ensure that people who work hard will be able to get ahead. Poor education results will be turned around, he says, and the country will be back on track, according to Luxem. Voters who have uh, taken him at his word and given him a chance to be Prime Minister will expect him to deliver. After all, one of his main complaints about Labour was that it didn't deliver. Luxon has said that he knows how to because that's what he's done during his work life as chief executive. And in New Zealand, I guess, would have to be one of those. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and it wouldn't be surprising if the new government soon comes up with an assessment we've heard before uh, when these, uh, when there's been a change. It's going to take some time. The opposition will soon be into it. National promises to fix nearly everything that isn't working properly and that will uh, be measurable from hospital waiting list to exam results. Labour has its own uh, crisis, uh, a really big one. Um, how did it lose bedrock electorates in its slump to defeat, and two of them to the Greens? Good grief. Uh, the red tide of 2020 has been reversed, sweeping away seats Labour has held for decades, including the red wall of Auckland seats that have gone to national. Many of us think that's because of the lockdowns. Labour started bleeding votes to the Greens after its leader Chris Hipkins made his captain's call to ditch the wealth tax policy, which upset many left-wingers. And uh, you can read more of that uh, analysis over at RNZ. Election uncertainty settles. New Zealand must unify climate vision, councillor. is another opinion piece. Uh, that's Sophie Hanford. I won't go into that one. Uh, let's uh, see what else we've got. Global reaction to the All Black uh, uh, RWC quarterfinal victory. I think it was 26-28. I watched a little bit of it. It was pretty exciting. I think the All Blacks came out fighting really hard right at the very start, and um, they just didn't let up the pressure, really. I think it was 6-0 within you know 10 minutes, um, and that was um, by penalty, um, penalty uh, what do you call it, kicks? Is that what you call it? I think it was, yeah. One of them was brilliant. It was from the halfway mark, and it went to the left of the post and then just curved back in and went straight. I couldn't believe it. How, what, a, what's, what a good kick that was. I don't follow rugby, so um, but it was good to watch anyway. All right, there's been a surge in support uh, for the Maori Party electorates. To Pity Party Maori have uh, secured four of the seven Maori electorates and will return to Parliament, which will be fronted by the national-led government. Uh, two arrested in Ruakaka homicide investigation, and there was a homicide there. Two men have been arrested in homicide investigation into the death of Tina Pickering in Ruakaka in Northam. The 24-year-old's body was found on a street in Northland settlement on the 12th of October. Police said a 29-year-old man was arrested yesterday and will appear in the Huangare District Court on charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. He has been remanded in custody and is due to appear on the 17th of October which is tomorrow. Uh, another man, aged 28, was arrested this morning and charged with, uh, that would be uh, Sunday morning, I'm, I would think, and charged with weapons and firearms-related offences. He's due to appear in the Wangarei District Court today. Detective Inspector Al Simon, he said that, I think it's Simons, he said that they were not seeking anyone else in at this time, but further charges were likely, obviously. Uh, anyone uh, with information about the case is asked to contact the police in Northam. All right, that's that. Indigenous leaders vow silence after voice referendum defeat. 
in Australia. Australian Indigenous leaders called on Sunday for a week of silence and reflection after a referendum to recognise the First Peoples in the Constitution was decisively rejected by a majority of the population. More than 60% of Australians voted no in the landmark referendum on Saturday. The first in almost a quarter of a century, it asked whether to alter the Constitution to recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people through the creation of an Indigenous advisory body, the Voice to Parliament which would advise Parliament on matters concerning the community. The outcome is a major setback for reconciliation efforts with the country's Indigenous community, some say, and also damages Australia's image in the world world regarding how it treats First Nations people. I think this story is a load of nonsense, uh, if you ask me, and that's from me, Grant Edwards, at quarter to six. I think that many, many uh, Indigenous people, so-called Indigenous, many Aborigines, uh, they Aboriginals, they they were they voted no. They didn't want to have it. They like what they've got. They want to be one people, and that's what we need here in New Zealand. We're one people. We have a treaty. Uh, the treaty is not between us. It's not between sort of like the British and um, the Maori people for peace or anything like that. It's not a peace treaty with us. It was a treaty to stop Maori killing them each other. They wanted the same protections. Maori wanted this. They wanted. They called for the protections that the settlers had. They wanted to be under the rule of law, British law so that they would no longer fear for their lives. Because, if you remember, it was uh, I think some, of, some people were still being murdered, tribes were still attacking each other and eating one another, as late as the 18, uh, even after the 1835 um, independence happened, the Declaration of Independence. That didn't work for Maori. So they needed a treaty between uh, the, United, the, you know, the British Empire uh, to bring peace and uh, security am- amongst the tribes themselves which they call iwi today. But the uh, English word is tribe for that. Okay, so that's Australia, and that's my little two cents worth. Let's move across to uh, News Hub, and uh, here's a sort of a hit piece, really. Gutless Kiwis. Uh, How Liz Gunn and Brian Tamaki reacted to election losses and other headlines. New political rock star Luxon completes arguably the most uh, meteoric rise in New Zealand history, certainly one of them anyway. And what happens next? The question is turned to Hipkins' leadership after Labour's heartbreak and the big winners and 11 big losers of election night. These are the, the headings on the front page of News Hub. Lux and Cardivore Maori Media and Tough Questions Forever. Mihi Forbes there. And uh, let's first of all look at um, the gutless Kiwis according to Liz gun and this report by news hub it says leaders of some of the minor parties that failed and also incidentally will uh, actual liz gun the leader of um, new zealand loyal nz loyal they received more votes uh, for a party that's been had been formed about i think seven or eight weeks before the election and they received more votes than any of the minor parties uh, so that's something to uh, consider you know, that's. I mean, I think that I don't. I really. I think it's a. It's a wonderful achievement. I think the votes so far, without special votes, it's almost twenty six thousand. And if you compare that with the Umbrella Party, Freedoms New Zealand, I don't think they hit seven thousand. So you know, that's a pretty good effort. And also, if you look at um, the results, and I'll, I'll find them in a minute, and I'll, we'll go over them with you. I mean, ACT didn't have that many really when you consider how long they've been going for, compared to you know a party that's been going for less than two months. And um, also, um, 
in New Zealand first as well, you know. I mean, 1.4, it's a little bit disappointing, but I think Liz Gunn is right. People were gutless, and many people that, that, that love the policies, they just didn't have, you know, they were so indecided, and they just listened to the mainstream media propaganda. And also, uh, NZ Loyal were cut out. You know, they were, they were shadow banned on, on, um, on social media. And uh, on the Friday, I think it was, before the election, on Friday night, uh, they had a meeting, and they weren't able to do the usual live stream. And uh, so all sorts of things like that, that... Um, that they did against the um, the NZL and also even the Electoral Commission uh, I believe that what they've done and the judge is just a, a nut bar for putting this through uh, on one of the papers when they put putting the um, uh, who the candidates were it said 33 candidates which is incredible really 33 candidates and on the other piece of paper it said 3 this is um, uh, when they were yeah anyway um you would think that the well, the electoral commission is there to help. They're there to help. They're there to make sure that that new parties and all parties are, are able to um, present their candidates for the election. Well, they should have said, uh, "Hang on, you've got there's a bit of a problem here. You've got 33 on one and th- three on the other." They pulled them up on everything else. Oh no, they said you have to have um, for your paid-up membership. They have there has to be in writing. Well, no other party had to do that. So they put obstacles in the way of NZL all the way. And I think it was a very good effort, a, a tremendous effort. And I think that Liz Gunn uh, should take a bow because I think she's done very well and the party's not going away. And uh, it's just a wonderful movement that they have. I think that um, Freedoms New Zealand with Brian Tamika, he's the wrong person, him and Hannah. They are the wrong people to be fronting a political party. New Zealanders want truth and transparency and they don't want double speak and that's what you'll get from these people who claimed that they never had a, uh, a jab testing and jab uh, uh, um, facility on uh, a prop on the one of, on their church grounds in the car park they said that it wasn't oh it wasn't them no it wasn't them it was some it was one of your mates that's who it was and it's just the lies that we've been getting from from the tamakis and uh, it's just um you know, it was silly, you know, that really they actually messed up the election, really. And, uh, you know, uh, just terrible people like, um, people that should know better, really, uh, Sue Gray, going with going with uh, Freedoms New Zealand, Brian Tamaki. I just can't believe that they would do that. And New Nation Party, they were silly too. They got nothing as a result of their flip-flopping around. I think they got 0.3%, if that 0.03. I think it was really uh, ridiculous results for them. So no, well done, Liz Gunn, and all the um, the people that are behind Freedom uh, NZ um, Loyal, I should say. NZ Loyal, I think, is this party is not going away. Uh, but let's see what the mainstream media say. Leaders of some of the minor parties that failed to win any parliamentary seats in the election have reacted emotionally over the results, including New Zealand Loyal's Liz Gunn and Freedom's New Zealand's uh, Brian Tamaki. With 100% of the preliminary votes counted, uh, but still, we've got quite a few special votes to be counted. National has 50 seats, Labour 34, Greens 14, Act 11, New Zealand First 8, and the Maori Party has 4. Tamaki raged at gutless Christians from the stage at a Destiny Church gathering held on Sunday morning, warning his congregation about what kind of Kiwis we have in Aotearoa. Oh, is it Aotearoa now? Is it Brian? It was New Zealand before. Uh, according to the election results, see that's the thing. He's um, 
it's just double speak really unless i mean there isn't there isn't a quote there unless it could be news hub putting that in which it probably is because it's not quoted they haven't got speech marks, so journalists have to be pretty careful about that. Gun, and they add this a little bit, an anti-vaccine former TV presenter. Well, I'm an anti-vaccine. I'm anti-all vaccines. Liz probably isn't an anti... She's probably not an anti-vaxxer at all. I don't know. I am, uh, because I, I know that all childhood vaccines cause long-term uh, terrible uh, chronic diseases and uh, psychological disorders and, um, and allergies, that type of thing. And it, it takes a long time. The drug companies know that uh, because if it just killed you straight away, they wouldn't be able to continue to make money out of you, would they? Anyway, so they say that uh, she had predicted that her New Zealand loyalty party would win 2 million votes in the election. Well, good on her for being positive. But ahead of, this, of the special votes being counted, the party was sitting at 1.15, a total equaling 26,100 votes. Uh, we are being ruled by a criminal cabal, that is true in my opinion, and at the very least utter bullies, said Gunn at a New Zealand loyal event held on election night. A video of which has was been posted on the party's Facebook page, well, it was they couldn't go live on Facebook because they jammed them, wouldn't allow them to. You can take great comfort and great heart because we've come together, because we've all woken up and we'll never go back to sleep again. We'll never let them divide us again. We'll keep building this country this way. And that was uh, Liz Gunn. But Gunn also reiterated her claim of significantly more support in the speech, saying, I mean, of course you would. I mean, deriding me for saying we'd get two million. Wouldn't it be funny if just quietly was well over a million uh, have actually voted for us? Let's see what they do with the numbers. Well, it didn't work out. But I still think it's a very, very good effort for a first-time brand-new party and so late as well. I think it's absolutely fabulous, especially when you've got the whole media against you. I mean, she never got an interview, uh, and uh, all, they've, all they've done is just uh, call her an anti-vaxxer. And um, so, no, it's pretty hard. They've made it very easy. I mean, if it was really fair and the media were, were actual proper journalists, uh, Liz Gunn's party, uh, NZ Lawyer, would have got far more votes uh, if they're allowed to um, you know, be on the level footing with all of the parties. It should be equal. I just think it's ridiculous. Every single party should have equal time. But we don't get that here in New Zealand because, uh, you know, up until now, we've had a communist, globalist-controlled uh, government. Now we've uh, changed hands to a fascist, uh, globalist-controlled government. And we'll just see how the fascists go uh, in the next three years. Don't think it'll be any better. I doubt it will be. So anyway, uh, you can read that story in full if you like. It's pretty much just a, a hit piece against Brian Tamaki, uh, who I think deserves a bit of, um, a bit of uh, you know, slagging uh, because you know he's he's just not honest and uh, if you go to uh, our you uh, on the I think you can find it on um, what is it now on the pod podcast under Liberty NZ uh, there's one there by an interview with Brian about Brian Tamaki and all of them really and about um, Winston Peters and David Seymour and it's with Samantha Edwards and John Ansell and that was done uh, a month or two ago, and you'll find it there. Or I think we've still got it on, we've had a bit of a clean out on Rumble, uh, but I think you'll see it on Rumble there. But on the podcast, yeah, Liberty NZ, you'll hear it. And if you want to see it, well, it makes no difference. Probably use less data if you just go to the podcast and see it. The Importance of Being Honest, I think it's called. Yeah.
So there you go. Uh, and so that is the front page of the uh, front page of News Hub. Let's go to um, stuff and have a look at them. Winston Peters tells the media, you're not doing the math. New Zealand First leader said that he was waiting for the special votes to see whether Christopher Luxon wants or needs his help forming a government. And also electorates that are still too close to call. The red tide has departed, leaving a few simmering puddles behind. And so you can go over to stuff and click on that link and you will be able to find out and take a look at the uh, the election uh, contest. Tover O'Brien has an analysis as well. Trying, try staying with a straight face, or saying with a straight face that you saw this election result coming and the country won't collectively call BS. Oh, I would. Sorry, I, thought, I don't know why she would say that. Let's have a look and see what she's got here. Uh, oh man, that's a long story. So I won't be reading that out because we're going to run out of uh, time for the news. So we've got TNT Radio News coming up at 6 o'clock and uh, we'll go and have a look at that. Let's look at the most popular stories, just the quick headlines for uh, national news on stuff and it is the Rugby World Cup, the All Blacks captain Sam Kane's perfect response to Irishman's cruel jibe and uh, it could lead to violence. James Shaw's warning about Act's Treaty of Waitangi referendum and who's coming and going in Parliament after a seismic election result? There's a link to that. And who is Tony? Outgoing Prime Minister Chris Hipkins reveals his partner after defeat. Is Tony a boy or is it a girl? Maybe he's not a poofter after all. I don't know. <laughs> Just have to, you'll have to find out, won't you? It's probably none of our business. So, so long as he doesn't sort of ram it down our throat, good. Just um, keep it, keep it in the in the closet where it belongs, Chris. People are crying. Wellington-bound Fiji flight diverted by winds, stuck on the tarmac. Well, we'll have a quick look at that now because we've got time, I think, before the news. And it says here that Wellington is bearing the brunt of strong gusts. This is by Poppy Clark. Strong gusts in both islands just a day after damaging winds brought down trees and cut power lines to thousands of Canterbury homes. Flights into the capital struggled against uh, by strong winds on Sunday. Against by. Oh. Um, and some passengers are saying that the landings were pretty rough. They, usually, they are quite rough coming into Wellington at the best of times. It was smooth sailing until the final descent and then the plane was bouncing all over the place. Passengers were vomiting, and there were oh nice, and there was lots of applause when we finally touched down. One said, "A Wellington airport spokesman said high winds have caused disruptions uh, to arriving flights. The main flights affected by have been Fiji Airways flight from Nandi. It was unable to land. It was diverted to Auckland. Jetstar flight from the Gold Coast has just landed on the second attempt. An Air New Zealand flight from Hamilton had missed the approach due to wind." Uh, this morning, I think that would be yesterday morning, but landed on the second attempt. Passengers on board the Fiji flight remained on Auckland Airport's tarmac at 3pm. One passenger on board said it's an utter shit show. Really? Well, it's wind. It's climate change, love. Uh, No one had been allowed off the plane, and the staff had no food to offer the passengers. Oh, well, better than crashing, isn't it? Don't you think? Better than crashing. Yep, I think, well, captains, they do the right thing, these pilots. Okay, so that's News Hub there. Let's uh, go across to, uh, and just have a quick refresh on the Times of Israel. We'll be back with that after the news, uh, which is coming up very shortly, yes, after the news at uh, 6 o'clock with 
TNT Radio News. Yep. Uh, how long is that going to be away? Not not too bad. I'm uh, not too far away. the natural order of the world is God, men, and women. And when we try to confuse women and say we're equal to men and that we have an ability, like that we should be able to control men, that's when evil I mean, I happens. I don't think there's equality no, with no, men and women re- at all. Right, right. But, but, no, but I think we're supposed to submit to men's authority. And I think when we don't, that's when evil happens. And so typically when, when there's a dysfunction in the family, it's because the woman was trying to impose her will on the man. From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at TNTradio.live. We will ask Helen Clark to be answerable. What did you do in those years there? What agreements did you make to sell your own country out so you could get ahead? What have you done to us, Helen? And we will cut all ties with the World Health Organization. Totally corrupted. Hour. Go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. This is Jason Olborn with a wrap-up of the week's news. Turkey's President Erdogan has condemned Israel's blockade and bombing of the besieged Gaza Strip, calling it a massacre. Speaking in Parliament on Wednesday, Erdogan said even war had a morality, but the flare-up since the weekend had very severely violated that. Preventing people meeting their most fundamental needs and bombing housing where civilians live, in short, conducting a conflict using every sort of shameful method, is not a war, it's a massacre, he said, referring to Israel cutting off electricity and water to Gaza and destroying infrastructure. Former Deutsche Bank Risk Management Officer Nicholas Hay took to the witness stand on Wednesday, testifying on the statements of financial condition at the centre of a civil fraud case against former President Donald Trump. Deutsche Bank had loaned the Trump Organisation 125 million for a golf resort in Florida and $107 million for a hotel and condo skyscraper in Chicago. Mr Hayes said the SFCs President Trump submitted were key to the loan approvals. President Trump had acted as guarantor in those loans and the bank required that he maintain a net worth of at least $2.5 billion. He also put up a Miami resort and another Chicago skyscraper as collateral. The bank would not have approved loans without a strong financial guarantee, Mr Hayes said, which seemed to contrast with the prosecutor's arguments that the banks took undue risks because of President Trump's SFCs. As the ultimate decider, I needed to be comfortable with the terms of the loan, including the covenants that protected the bank, he said. President Trump has repeatedly argued that his statements included a disclaimer that asked insurers and banks to conduct their own analyses. And the pattern of excess deaths recorded in the Southeast Asian country of Malaysia during the COVID-19 pandemic shocked a Canadian research team when they studied the overall death rates there in a story published in the Epoch Times. The number of deaths clearly increased, but upon closer examination. They noticed that the excess deaths did not coincide with the time when the pandemic was declared. Instead, it had a strong correlation with the timing of the COVID-19 vaccine program rollout. The same thing happened in nine other countries, including Australia, New Zealand, Paraguay, Philippines, Singapore, Suriname, 
Thailand and Uruguay. After studying over a dozen countries in the Southern Hemisphere, the scientists concluded that 13.5 billion COVID vaccines that were given out worldwide caused 17 million people to lose their lives from the vaccine alone. But the death rate data for elderly people aged 90 or older was the worst. One in 20 lost their lives after the vaccines were rolled out. If you look at the attack in proportion to the size of Israel's population, this is the equivalent of 10 9-11s. Blinken said in Tel Aviv on Thursday. That's how big and how devastating the attack has been. With more, here is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Secretary of State Tony Blinken is basically comparing the raid in the Israeli territory by Hamas at the beginning of this past weekend to not just 9-11, the attacks of September 11th in 2001, but he's comparing it to 10 9-11s. It's hard to know what exactly the U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken intends to convey with a statement like this, but a lot of people are saying this is over the top. Critics are saying there's really no comparison. What are we trying to achieve diplomatically here? And what it looks like is the United States is prepping the ground for a wider war. There are people within Washington that do want to escalate this conflict. It seems like Israel is also interested in escalating the conflict because surely a ground invasion or a mass casualty or mass civilian death event in Gaza is going to draw in other countries, namely Iran, Lebanon with Hezbollah, Yemen, and who knows who else. That's World War Three. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Well, I don't agree with anything you've said, Patrick. I think you're an anti-Semite and you are a hater of the Jewish people, the Israelis. That's what you are. That's what you are. And it's been I've I've heard it for the la- over a week. In fact, even before this, I've uh, I've heard it in your comments that you have this uh, gripe about Israel. You don't like the Jewish people. And it's a sickness, mate, and uh, you'll suffer for it because the Bible says if you curse Israel, God will curse you. If you bless Israel, God will uh, will bless you. So be it on your own head, mate. God will deal with you. Six minutes past. We'll go to weather in a moment. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at TNTradio.live. All right, let's look at the extremes at uh, six minutes past six. Good morning, uh, Kaitaya, 15.4 degrees, the warmest place to be at the moment. Waitati is uh, minus, no, not minus now, it's warmed up a little, 0.5 degrees. Still pretty cold though, isn't it? Wellington has uh, the windiest place to be, rather Castle Point, 44 kilometres of wind blowing through Castle Point at the moment and the wettest place is Milford Sound with 4.2 millimetres of rain. The temperatures across the main centre, Stewart Island's now on 7 degrees, Invercargill's dipped down to 4 degrees and it's uh, 5 degrees in Queenstown, 6 degrees in Dunedin, Chatham Islands is 12, a little bit cooler there now but it was 13 earlier. Timaru has gone very cold, 2 degrees there across to the west coast, France Joseph's on 5, Westport with Nelson are both on 7 degrees and Blenheim has 4 degrees, Christchurch 11. Across the Cook Strait to Wellington and uh, 10 degrees in Wellington, Masterton 11, it's certainly warmed up there. Napier has 12 degrees, Palmerston North 11, New Plymouth is on 6, Taupo and Rotorua on 8 and 10 respectively, and it's 11 degrees for Gisborne, also Tauranga. Uh, Hamilton has 8 degrees, Auckland is on 13 along with Whangarei, and Kaitaia is on 16 degrees, can you believe it? Well, 15.4 actually, to be precise. Let's look at that short forecast for the northern half of the North Island, from Taranaki across to Taupo and the Bay of Plenty northwards. Fine spells, isolated showers about Northland and Auckland, 
Uh, spreading further south this afternoon and evening for Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, Taihapi, Wanganui and Manawatu. Mainly fine weather for you and uh, isolated showers about Manawatu clearing this morning. For Horofanua, oh, I should say I'm awfully sorry, Horofanua, <laughs> Kapiti Coast, Wellington and the Wairapa. Also for Marlborough and Nelson, cloudy periods and rain developing tonight. For Buller, Westland of Fiordland, rain at times, possibly heavy, becoming persistent about Buller and Westland this evening. For Canterbury, fine weather and increasing high cloud, however scattered rain developing about the high country this evening this morning. For Otago, scattered rain developing this morning, rain becoming widespread in the evening. Southland, occasional showers clearing about the coast this evening, and the Chathams, you have uh, a few showers this morning, but otherwise fine weather. Looking ahead to Tuesday for the North Island, mainly fine in the east, scattered showers elsewhere, turning to rain about Wellington later. Northwesterlies uh, in exposed places in the afternoon. For the South Island, rain with some heavy falls, clearing in western Fiordland and Southland, and easing in Canterbury and Otago later. Snow possibly lowering down to 500 metres for a time in Canterbury on Tuesday. For Wednesday, for the North Island, isolated showers north of Taranaki to Bay of Plenty, turning to rain in the far north, mainly fine elsewhere, but a few showers in the west and in Gisborne, clearing. Uh, For the South Island Wednesday, rain in the north, clearing, otherwise mostly fine, but a few coastal showers in Southland and southern Fiordland. On Thursday, for the North Island, mainly fine weather, but isolated showers in the north and west and rain developing in the far north later. And in the South Island, fine weather, apart from a few coastal showers in Southland and southern Fiordland. And Friday, just when it's uh, time to have a break, uh, North Island, rain is going to be uh, over the northern area. Elsewhere, mainly fine with increased cloud in the South Island on Friday. A few showers in Fiordland, turning to rain later in the day. And fine elsewhere, though, apart from coastal cloud morning and night. And the Chathams, your long-range forecast. Cloud increasing and rain developing tomorrow, turning northwards to a few showers early on Wednesday, and then clearing and becoming fine late Wednesday. Strong northwesterlies changing to lighter southerlies Tuesday evening, and uh, westerly late on Wednesday. Well, that's TNT Radio News and weather to 10 past 6. You're listening to the Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, your host, Grant Edwards. I'll be back and we'll look at the newspapers and we'll also uh, check uh, what's going on with the Israeli newspapers as well. This is a TNT Radio Encore. If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Well, not every Arab is against the Israeli um, uh, defending itself against the Hamas. Let's have a listen to an Arab-Israeli news anchor and see what she says about what's happening. It's uh, 11 minutes past six. I'm sorry that I'm using my microphone to send a message to the world. As a journalist, this is my only weapon. Since Saturday morning, the state of Israel is under attack. Our beloved country is under attack. We are under an attack of a brutal, barbaric, inhumane terror organization. Not an entity, not a government, not a leadership, but a terror organization. Hamas murdered and slaughtered in cold blood innocent babies, children, elderly, women, and men, in their homes, in their beds. Hamas kidnapped and took captive innocent babies, children, elderly, women, and men. 
Hamas has targeted and fired thousands of rockets and missiles on innocent babies, children, elderly women and men, civilians, citizens of the sovereign state of Israel. And we, the citizens of the state of Israel, all of us, left and right, secular and religious, Jews, Christians, Druze, Muslims, minorities, and immigrants from all over the world stand united together in this fight. We're fighting for our lives, for our future, and mostly for the future of our children. Don't be mistaken. We experience difficulties, disagreements, and major disputes like any other country on this globe. But it does not mean that we will not protect ourselves and our children, our homeland. And for everyone out there who's not condemning this inhumane massacre, try to imagine for a second that you're waking up on Saturday morning with your children sleeping next to you, waking up to the sounds of sirens, and then in a split of a second, a terrorist comes into your home, your safe shelter, and starts murdering your family in front of your eyes. Can you imagine that? Look into the victim's eyes. Look into our eyes, in the eyes of all the citizens of this land and stand with us on the right side of history. בכמה מילים בעברית. ביום שאחרי אנחנו לא נקום לאותה ישראל. אנחנו לא נקום אותם אנשים. ואנחנו נקום חזקים יותר, וטובים יותר, ובתקווה גם מאוחדים יותר. Alright, it's 13 past 6 here on the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. Let's look at Ray New Zealand front page. Just looking at the headlines now, Rugby World Cup, England survive Fiji scare and make it through to the semi-finals. Fiji put up a good fight at the Rugby World Cup quarter-final, but England came out on top, 30, uh, 30 points to 24 in Marseille. And if you go to um, Radio New Zealand, rnz.co.nz, you can see the final results on how it all unfolded there and uh, so that's uh, not too there's a good effort though I have to say a very very good effort National and Labour both face urgent issues according to uh, uh, RNZ and there's been a surge in support to secure four Maori electorates for the Maori party Uh, an election uncertainty settles as it does Uh, New Zealand must unify climate vision according to a councillor more climate change and bullshit, I would say. That's what I would call it. And uh, global reactions to the All Blacks w, uh, RWC quarter final victory. We can have a quick look at that one, shall we? Bit of sport there. Keep us all. And we'll actually talk a little bit about amusement too, how, why they pay them so much. We'll have a look at that. Global media have uh, reacted to the blockbuster All Blacks defeat against Ireland in the Rugby World Cup final that was on Sunday morning, New Zealand time. Glittering praise for the Kiwis and commiserations for the Irish nightmare. The Irish Times lamented that Ireland's dream had died in Paris and the glass ceiling of never being able to make it out of the World Cup quarterfinal remained in place. Uh, they threw everything at the All Blacks and more, they certainly did, but ran into an unrelenting, defiant and proud opponent. Ireland's passing and handling skills were always at their sharpest and they never looked quite 
uh, as comfortable as uh, and as assured as they had in the previous 17 wins on the spin. There we go. Well, let's have a quick look here. We might even have something that we can play you. Might not be loud enough. No, that was a bit quick. Five seconds. <laughs> yeah, that might be something I regret. Let's see if the one's a bit louder. This is the hacker. Well, I think you had to be there to see it. And uh, really, I believe that my personal opinion is that the haka, which is a Maori cannibal war dance, has no place in any sport. And uh, I just think it's uh, atrocious. That, And I don't think... Also, I was very disappointed in the way the national anthem was sung. Uh, a lot of them barely opened their mouths. Uh, whereas the Irish, they were singing with great gusto. And I think that's a, a real shame that our country... Uh, we have, and I think that's really a result of um, decades of, um, you know, propaganda, you know, anti-British and European propaganda, and uh, you know, just it's such a shame, really. We're just so divided, especially in the last six years. But that's the way it is, isn't it? With um, with the way things are going, it's uh, they really, it's really, it's a war on the West. And uh, according to um, funny old what's his name Baker, I think his name is COVID nineteen still here and still deadly apparently. According to uh, David Baker, I think that's his name, COVID-19 may be uh, below the radar, but it hasn't gone away. And it's likely to claim hundreds of lives this year. So he's just a, he just looks like a worried chap when you look at him with those little glasses there. He just, and it's just, because it's just nonsense. Of course, there is no COVID-19 virus. It's all imaginary and they've, they fake the data. They had a fake PCR test. And I find it very strange that the inventor of the PCR test, um, Kerry Mullis, that he passed away just months before uh, the 2020 uh, so-called outbreak of the scary virus, which they used to take away our freedoms, our rights, and really a bit of a trial, really, just to see if we were stupid enough to take an experimental biological agent that normally would take 10 years, and even then I wouldn't trust it, because that's not very long when it comes to pharmaceuticals to trial things, but just two months of human trials, and then they hid the data. And uh, it's all coming out now. And, of course, everything will come out in the light eventually. It just takes time. Um, now, what else have we got? The Silver Ferns, they suffer another loss to Australia in sport. That's a bit of a shame, isn't it? Silver Ferns have lost the Silver Ferns, I should say, have lost the second Constellation Cup netball test in Brisbane, going down 55-46. It wasn't too bad, was it? That's to Australia. The result gives defending champs Australia a 2-0 lead in the four-test series after the world champions won the opening test 50-40. Australia led 16-11 at the end of the first quarter and maintained five-goal margin at half-time going to the break, going to the break, 28-23 up. Uh, the hosts extended their lead to nine goals in the third uh, going into the f- uh, final quarter, up 41-32. Australia maintained the margin in the final quarter, eventually running out of winners, 55, for, running out of the winners, I should say, 55-46. Silver Ferns a shooter, Grace Nickwick. I think that's funny when they have two consonants together, I find that very <laughs> difficult to look at. It looks like Nickwicky, but I, I'm just guessing there. Uh, they played two quarters on her return to the court, having not played since the early stages of the World Cup in South Africa earlier this year, where she suffered a serious knee injury. The series now moves to New Zealand with Game 3 in Invercargill on Thursday night. 
So how about that? Now, while we're talking about sport, why don't we have a listen to this uh, this chap talking about about sport? In effect, it's really basically he says just sort of like the Roman, you know, the Colosseum, just keeping the, keeping us quiet. Let's have a listen to that right now. It's twenty past six. There is no job worth two million dollars a year. That's why they pay athletes these fantastic salaries. I was listening to the radio the other day. They just contracted to pay one one player on one team six million dollars a year. Can you believe this? And why is that? It's the Roman circus. What does the emperor do when the people become restive? And when the people are asking questions and when the people don't like the policies of the emperor, he sends them to the circus. He creates a circus. He builds a giant coliseum. And he begins to throw the Christians to the lions. And he has great chariot races and football games and basketball games, all to keep the idiots preoccupied with things that don't mean anything in the scheme of the entire world so that they don't have the time to learn what the truth is, so they don't ever get smart enough to learn how they're being manipulated, so they don't ever question the emperor. That's why they pay a player on a football team or a baseball team a million or two million or three million dollars a year. It is the Roman circus. Alright, 21 minutes past 6 and you're at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards and move you across to News Hub and Gutless Kiwis how Liz Gunn and Brian Tamaki reacted to election losses New political rock star Luxon completes uh, arguably the most me- meteoric rise in New Zealand history and uh, what happens next for the Labour Party? Questions turn to Hipkins' leadership after the Labour heartbreak and the big winners and even the big losers of the night and, uh, well, I guess the big losers, that's just a story there. Uh, it's the heading. doesn't really tell us much. I suppose we'd have a quick look at it, couldn't we? And, uh, yes, yeah, so who have we got there? Some big... Oh, well, that um, Maori Party young uh, woman, what's her name now? She did well, didn't she? She's only about 21. She's the youngest politician, I think, been for a long, long time. Not since the 19th century we've had a politician that young. She, I think she's in the Waikato area. Uh, Elections 23 was a night of huge success for some and an evening of acknowledging defeat for others. There was visible jubilation at the National Party's campaign event after successfully securing enough seats to form a coalition with its allies on the Right of Politics Act. And it was a golden moment of victory for the leader, Christopher Luxon, who defeated Labour to step up to become the nation's 42nd Prime Minister. It uh, marks a rapid rise for Luxon, former Air New Zealand Chief Executive, who became an MP in 2020 and Nationals leader only a year ago. For the Greens, it was a night to remember, picking up three electorates and 14 MPs, the most ever, with seven new people coming into Parliament. It's hard to believe people would vote for ACT. <laughs> Sorry, for the Greens. I just can't imagine why you would do that. Uh, New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters returns after ooh, after three years out of the big house, while ACT picking up a second electorate seat with Brooke Van Velden 
taking tamaki. A big night for our young female candidates. New Zealand's young females were the real winners of the evening, really. Why would that be? With uh, several candidates who know nothing about anything, really, from our major minor parties winning seats. Unbelievable. Uh, the Maori Party, Hannah Rawiti Maipi Clark, aged 21, became New Zealand's youngest Prime Minister in 170 years, unseating Labour's Nanaya Mahuta with more than a 1,000 votes. Meanwhile, Green MP uh, uh, Tamatha Paul, who's 26, won Wellington Central, stepping up above Labour's Ibram Omer and National Scott Sheeran. Uh, with more success for the Greens, Chloe Schwarbuck, 29, retained the Auckland Central electorate, making history as the first in her party to ever do so. For former Arena, uh, former La- for Labour rather, Arena Williams, born in 1990, roped in success after managing to retain her Manurewa electorate. On the other end of the political spectrum, the ACT Party's Brooke Van Vielden, 31, uh, won her electorate seat in Tamaki, kicking out Nationals MP Simon O'Connor. And uh, losses on losses for the Labour Party. Several Labour MPs failed to maintain their seats, with National painting the country blue as the evening ticked on. One of the biggest losses for Labour on the night was Michael Wood slipping out of place for Mount Roskill, with Carlos Ching stepping into the role instead. Despite Wood once being considered a possible future Labour leader, this now means that he will be completely out of Parliament. It was a big switch for Auckland's uh, Takanini, the newest electorate after being established in 2020. Ane Niru Liavasa's seat was taken over by Rima Nakel, uh, looks like, and after that was a close race. Damien O'Connor was also booted out of the seat with Maureen Poo. She is taking over in the West Coast Tasman electorate. Running neck and neck, Tracy McLennan uh, was taken out of the Banks Peninsula seat to allow Vanessa Wink, Wink, it looks like Winkink, Winnick, oh, Winnick, is it? Yeah, Winnick in. Winnick in, that's interesting. Uh, and for New Lynn, uh, Deborah Russell was booted out, and uh, who moved in? It is uh, Paulo Garcia. He moved in. Wangarei's seat was flicked back to national territory with Shane Retty replacing Anne Warren Clark in what was a slim result. Uh, and you remember that Shane Retty, he was the one that said that um, hydroxychloroquine, hydroxychloroquine didn't work. And what was the other one? Some other one that they're actually having great success and it's well proven that they are, but he was trying to make out that it was dangerous. And, uh, well, I guess if you take massive doses of anything, it would be dangerous, and that's what they did in some of the trials. What a, sh- what a shambles it's been the last three years. What an absolute um, disgrace that, uh, and that doctors didn't stand up for New Zealand as well in this country. Just unbelievable. Getting back to this story, Waira Rapper was also uh, taken with Kieran McLenolty being defeated by Mike Butterick. And in the minor parties, some of the minor parties were left out and failed to win any parliamentary seats in the election. Uh, Leaders of some of the parties spoke up with the motion on Sunday, including New Zealand Loyal's Liz Gunn and Freedom's party, Brian Tamaki. Of course, Liz Gunn's Loyal Party absolutely trounced the umbrella party of Brian Tamaki's. I think they got um, not even 7,000 votes. And Liz Gunn, a a brand-new party, uh, under two months old, and... uh, they picked up uh, over 26,000 votes, and that's before the special votes have been counted. Liz describes herself as feeling like a real fraud after depicting the party 
and she's saying that, you know, this taken out of context, of course, because um, I heard it. Uh, she said, uh, predicting that the party will get over two million votes, We're hoping, she was hoping, and as you do, you are positive. Everyone is like that, and that's what positive people do, the power of positive thinking. And uh, so there you go, only pulling in a total of, oh, well, that's actually not true. Uh, it wasn't 7,000 votes. Uh, it was twenty seven, almost twenty seven thousand votes before the special votes. So uh, they've got this one wrong. That that seven thousand and seventy one was for Brian Tamaki's party. Uh, but Brian Tamaki, he said that he slammed National. Uh, what sort of Christians are we? Are we breeding when people vote for uh, people like that? Uh, Elon Musk has congratulated the National leader, Christopher Luxon. Uh, he, 53-year-old Luxon, has only been in Parliament for three years and is now working to form a coalition government if everything goes smoothly. He celebrated his electorate success by posting, Thank you, New Zealand. Now let's get our country back on track. Well, let's hope that can happen. I, I, let's, let's hope so. And whoever, if the country has elected um, the National Party, then we've got to accept that decision and knuckle down and uh, but keep hold them to the fire hold their feet to the fire because they've got to be held responsible for the promises that they've made we won't forget that we won't let them and now that we've got so much more in the media now we've got um, you know uh, citizen journalists and uh, people that are making uh, really turning out to be better journalists than the ones that we've got uh, we'll make sure of it so long as we can get a voice and they're, they're doing their best to stop our voice to um, silence us but uh, We'll just have to cross that bridge as we get to it, as my dad used to say. Uh, anyway, Musk responded, congratulations and thank goodness. Oh, really? Well, Musk, you know, well, let's hope you're right. Let's hope you're right. People on the social media platform were quick to respond to his tweet, several of them agreeing with him. Uh, so let's have a look at his tweet. Thank you, New Zealand. Now let's get our country back on track. That was Christopher Luxon. Okay. Of course, you know, no point in following him because... It's probably not him putting the tweets out anyway, and uh, you never get a response if you ask a question anyway with these people, whereas you would with Liz Gunn. Uh, so, meanwhile, a third person exclaimed his surprise at Musk's post. Wow, Luxon gets a thumbs up from Elon. Others snapped back at Musk, with one saying, if that's not a sign that we were doomed, I don't know what is. And then, uh, so, yeah, that's that. Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese he also extended his well wishes for Luxon, along with condolences to former Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. Congratulations. There you go. And uh, poor old Nanaya Mahuta. Let's uh, have a look at her. I actually have got a soft spot for her, I have to tell you. I think she's a... Um, she. I think she's done the, the best she can do. She's done a very good job. Defeated Prime Minister of Foreign Affairs, Nanaya Mahuta, uh, says that she hopes the gains for the Maori over the last two Labour terms will not be wound back. The um, ousting of Mahuta, who was first elected to Parliament in 1996, was one of the shocks of the night's, of the night's election. She was beaten by the, the Maori Party Hannah Rawiti Maipi Clark by 1,366 votes in Hauraki, Waikato. Uh, speaking to Radio New Zealand, Mahuta said that she had much to think about. Now I'm going to take a take stock and obviously spend time with my family. Well, she said far now. It's a quote, so she probably did say far now. Mahuta said, uh, and uh, far now is the hugest sacrifice that you make 
when you serve over such a long period of time. So we're looking forward to having, they're looking forward to having me for themselves for a while, and then we'll map out the next steps. Mahuta said that she had concerns an act national government would impact progress that was made for the Maori population under the now outgoing government. In this election, there was a lot of challenges in terms of people learning what changes means. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I agree with everything, but I don't know what it is, but I do have a soft spot for her. I just think she's controlled. She's not sort of like a crazy person like um, Rawiri is, you know, the one with the facial tattoos and the cowboy hat and all that. He's just sort of, he's just sort of flamboyant and, and just, just nutty, really. And then you've got, um, who's that other one now? One that, not the one that crashed a car. Um, the um, the white cis men one. What's her name? I can't remember. Anyway, she's kind of a bit nutty as well. Anyway, so, but she said, that's our democracy. And we've just got to find our way through and move forward. And hopefully ensure that good gains that have supported the aspirations of Maori, which are good for the country, aren't wound back. Mahuta believed Chris Hipkins would have Labour's support to stay as leader. I'm sure the team will continue to rally behind Chris Hipkins. He led a very strong campaign, according to Mahuta, during his period, and people have to remember that his child became sick and also he got COVID. Oh, did he? COVID. <laughs> Lots of people had the cold and flu, and but you just got to box on. But of course, if they didn't pretend that it was some absolutely terrible virus that would kill you, uh, you know, it doesn't kill healthy people, you know, unless, unless you get vaccinated, unless you get jabbed, then you've got a chance of actually dying from, uh, you know, getting uh, unwell. And really, when you are unwell uh, with colds and flus, all it is is really is just your body getting rid of toxins. And so you just got to let it take its, you can't suppress it. No good suppressing things. It's like putting a cork on top of a mountain when it's trying to blow its stack. Anyway, so Mahuta said that it had been a privilege to serve as a minister under Helen Clark, Jacinda Ardern, and also Chris Hipkins. Yeah, I don't know why I do, but I do have a soft spot for her. I just think she's so measured. Uh, I don't agree with any of her politics, but I just think that the way she goes about uh, arguing, debating, is very good and um, commendable. Yeah, a lot will disagree. And you know what? You're entitled to. You're allowed to. It's 26 minutes to 7. And uh, we'll have a quick look at um, stuff when we come back. And I also want to talk a little bit about, well, actually want to play a little piece about democracy. Is it really all it's cracked up to be? Uh, and also we'll hear from uh, G. Edward Griffin. Yes, he, in fact, he's the one that's going to be bringing us uh, more on democracy, and I'll be back in a moment. But um, we've got Samantha Edwards coming up talking about climate change and Winston Peters. Another thing that Winston Peters knows is that the climate change narrative is a lie. The altering and hiding of NIWA data comes from a government level instruction. Government has access to climatological data before we do. Yet Winston, clever man that he is, plays the fool and perpetuates these lies. Why hasn't he spoken up to challenge the monumental lies that are being told to enable operations such as managed retreat, an obviously globalist agenda? When's he going to talk about the deliberate perpetrating of weather events to achieve this managed retreat aim? When's he going to talk about geoengineering, the only true contributor to human-caused climate change? Instead of exposing the lie and speaking up about the harm that the lie is inflicting upon humanity, he perpetuates it. 
He's the one who announced that he'd personally see to it that the entire fleet of government vehicles would be 100% emission-free by 2025, 26 at the latest. We will all need to let go of some things and to be more committed to finding the answers... Back in 2019, he showed no compassion to farmers who were reeling from the announcement of the climate change response Zero Carbon Amendment Bill, saying this to farmers who complained it would destroy their livelihoods. His response to criticism from farmers. Sometimes, you know, the stuff at the back of the cows can get into your ears and contaminate your thinking. Winston Peters has very much towed the line of the climate change deception. But in his usual form, now that we're coming up to an election, suddenly his script has changed. Now that he's targeting the so-called conspiracy and anti-vax bunch, he's dropping a little anti-climate change rhetoric here and there into his campaign meetings. Speaking of climate and lies, there appears to be a distinct climate of lies wherever Winston goes. In fact, for the next instalment of Winnie's Lies, let's take a look at the TPPA affair. And we'll look at that a little bit later on. It's 24 minutes to 7. We'll have TNT Radio News at 7. In a moment, we will hear from uh, G. Edward Griffin in just one moment. Democracy is a form of government based upon the principle of majority rule, period, end of discussion. Now that's not very complicated. Majority rule. It's easy to understand, easy to sell to the masses, and I might add, deadly. For example, what would you call a lynch mob? That's majority rule. There's only one dissenting vote, and he's at the end of the rope. Now that's pure democracy in action. Now, but wait a minute, you say. The majority should rule, yes, but not to the extent of destroying the rights of the minority. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we are no longer describing a democracy. We are speaking of a republic. A republic is a limited democracy. It's a form of government based upon the principle of limited majority rule. Limited so that the minority, even a minority of one, can be protected against the whims and passions of the majority. And how do you protect the minority from the majority? You write down a set of rules on a piece of paper. You say, this we can do, that we cannot. At the top of the paper, you write the word Constitution. And then everyone agrees to follow the rules no matter what the temptation. And when you're finished, you've created a constitutional republic. And of course I guess that's uh, exactly what we need here, isn't it, in this country, New Zealand. That was what NZ Loyal was going to bring to us. But sadly it didn't work out this election, but hey, we're not going away. Uh, Liz Gunn and the team, 33 candidates, uh, all still rearing to go. And we'll be really looking forward to hearing from Liz Gunn as well with her response once they all get back to their homes. They're all travelling back up the country. They, they had election night in Gore, so it's going to be a, a bit of travelling. Many of them went by vehicle, and so it will take some time. Uh, let's move across to uh, have a look at uh, the... Um, Israeli papers. We'll go first to the Times of Israel and the IDF chief tells ground troops that they'll hit Hamas everywhere. Prime Minister meets hostages of uh, families rather of the hostages and uh, what else have we got here? The IDF kills Hamas commander involved in the deadly attacks 
as uh, rocket fire on southern area resumes. Military says over 100 terror targets were struck overnight. Evacuation of Sterot residents uh, slated to start. IDF spokesman says the top priority in the Gaza operation is freeing the hostages. One killed in renewed Hezbollah missile strike uh, attack. IDF restricts Lebanon border area. Terror group also fires on army posts, leading to exchanges of fire. Military says it strikes terror sites after six anti-tank guided missiles and nine rockets were fired at the north. Syria accuses Israel of bombing Aleppo airport for a second time in three days. Uh, But let's just look at that story for a moment there. Uh, Actually, before I do, I'll just give you another headline. Hezbollah fires 30 mortars. IDF hits anti-tank team in latest Lebanon border clashes. And Reuters videographer allegedly killed by Israeli shelling in Lebanon laid to rest. Well, war is a terrible thing. Red Cross, they demand that Hamas grant immediate access to hostages held in Gaza. The organisation says it's been in touch with the Israeli officials since the day of first day of the attack and is ready to facilitate release of kidnapped, uh, estimated to be over 150 people. President Biden says Hamas is using innocent Gazans as human shields. He phones Netanyahu and PA Abbas, that's Palestinian Authority Abbas. And uh, so that is that. And then we'll just go back to that story now with um, Syria accusing Israel of bombing Aleppo airport for the second time in three days. And rockets fired earlier in Syria uh, from Israel airport again at the uh, service reportedly shortly after it was repairing, repaired rather, following Thursday strikes that also targeted Damascus airport. And uh, Israeli airstrikes targeted the airport of Syria's government uh, government-held city of Aleppo late on Saturday, putting it out of order that Sunday for us here in New Zealand. The country's defence ministry claimed hours after the rockets were fired at Israel from Syria and days after a similar strike from Aleppo and Damascus airport. At approximately 11.35pm, the Israeli... Now, that's, 11, that's sort of the early hours of Sunday, that would be, the Isra- for New Zealand. The Israeli... Uh, enemy uh, carried, this is what they, the Syrians have said, Israeli enemy carried out airstrikes from the direction of the Mediterranean Sea, targeting Aleppo International Airport, causing material damage to the airport and putting it out of service, the ministry said in a statement. The ministry lambasted Israel, saying that the attack confirms the criminal approach of the Israeli occupation, accusing it of crimes against Palestinian people. While the Israeli Defence Force did not provide a comment on the claims, A senior foreign ministry official accused Iran of trying to deploy arms in Syria to attack Israel and said Jerusalem was taking action to foil that effort. Joshua Sarka, head of strategic affairs at the ministry, responded to Joel Rayburn, director of the American Center for uh, Leviant Studies, said... He suggested on X, formerly Twitter, that Iran was working to move weapons into Syria to open a second front against Israel, and the Israeli military was taking action in response. And so there you have it. On Thursday, Israeli strikes knocked Syria's two main airports of Damascus and Aleppo out of service in the first strike since the Hamas assault on Israel over a week ago. Uh, and and triggered fierce fighting. Multiple reports indicated on Saturday that the renewed attack on the Aleppo airport had come shortly after the runway was repaired 
and the report went back into service. It's a bit repetitious there. I've got a uh, click. I've got a sort of a video here. I wonder if it's got. It might have some sound to it apart from noise. Let's see if there's anyone speaking. Now I remember I remember Vanessa Bealy. I thought she was a, a journalist with BBC, but this is what she wrote. Aleppo this is and that's her video, I don't know where she got it from, probably from the terrorists. Aleppo Airport has been attacked for the second time in forty eight hours by the Zionist entity. It was it was it was due to reopen tomorrow at eight AM and now it's out of operation again, waiting for official statement regarding casualties and damage. Well, you know, it's war. And uh, it's, uh, everything that Israel's doing, it's not, it's not indiscriminate. It's taking out uh, very uh, important. Um, they know that uh, that Syria is arming the terrorists, and uh, you know, Iran, both Iran and what's the other one? Uh, Iran and Syria. Yep, they are definitely, um, you know, up to their eyeballs on this. And it was admitted on uh, Arab television, and I've got a piece from that as well. So, uh, and I'll bring that to you as the morning proceeds. So that's Vanessa Bigley here. I'm absolutely sure that she is... Let's just go to her Twitter account, her X account. She's in the pursuit of peace and progress. That its trials and its errors, its successes and its setbacks can never be relaxed and never abandoned. DH. Don't know who DH is. No, she doesn't say too much about it, but I'm absolutely sure that she's a journalist for... Um, she writes on Substack, Bigley. B double E L E Y dot substack dot com, but I was absolutely sure that uh, yeah, I was absolutely sure that she was uh, one of the major journalists there. That name rings a bell. Okay, so we're on the Times of Israel, and uh, let's just see what else they've got for us. Um, this, it's funny the Times the website's difficult. This they keep pushing this thing over the top they're wanting me to um, oh they're telling me to, to, to disable my ad blocker so they can give me lots of ads so anyway so there we are <laughs> I've done that now let's have a look here uh, just 11 minutes ago uh, civil service urges suspension of aid to Prime Minister's wife for tirades against traitors mm, we'll have a look at that shall we the head of um, head of uh, discipline department slams a post by Tzipi Naron, who called the critics of Netanyahu treasonous kikes and scum in the wake of the deadly Hamas assault on the southern Israel. There's a lot of Israelis. What I'm getting from Israel National Radio is that there's a lot of them that are very, very upset with the government. Uh, they feel that they've really let them down. And uh, and also, there's quite a lot of uh, former IDF uh, personnel, people involved in intelligence as well. Uh, they cannot imagine that uh, this could possibly have happened. And uh, they, some of them are saying that it was an inside job. Why would that be? To give Israel the moral high ground? To give the West the moral high ground? To push the Arabs out of, well, the Muslims, the Hamas, the Palestinian so-called out of Gaza Strip, is that what it is, or is it the White House? Uh, do they want to have war, World War Three? Is that what it is? Patrick Henderson Wright is he not an anti-Semite after all? I don't know. Certainly, certainly sounds like it. And also, we have to remember that the um, the Israeli people 
the government is not the Israeli people. And many, many Israelis are dead against all the changes that they, they saw, just as we have been here in our country, against what uh, our politicians have done, locking us down and taking away our freedoms. They're having the same problems over there. They're all heavily vaccinated. They really got uh, slammed into it, just like we all did. And I think that um, they're very, very disappointed in their government. And this, to allow this to happen, if it was an inside job, just you know, imagine if it was a, if it was a um, what do they call it a, uh, a false flag. Imagine if that was the case. What a disgraceful thing to to perpetrate on your own people. But it's not as though it hasn't happened before, and it's something we've got to consider. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm with the Israeli people, uh, not so much with the Israeli government, but I'm with the Israelis and you know the promises that God has for them, the children and descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to control all of that land as far north as uh, pretty much almost into Russia in the north and down at almost uh, you know not far from northern Africa in the south and from Saudi Arabia across to the uh, Mediterranean Sea that is the promise of that of God to Abraham Isaac and Jacob and his descendants and uh, soon the bible tells us when the lord returns he will build he will set it up that's what it's here. He'll set up the set up what set up the temple in Jerusalem, and either he or King David who will rise from the dead, as they do, as we all will that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. David didn't have an opportunity to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but he knew his Messiah would come, and he knew that when he lost his son, uh, he knew that he would not uh, come back to see him, but that uh, his that he would one day go to be with him. And the Bible says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Unless you're a non-believer, then you just die, and you it's like you're asleep. You just lie in the grave, and the dead know nothing, the Bible says, until at least a 1,007 years. What's the seven years? It's the final week of Daniel's uh, um, Daniel's vision, uh, Daniel's uh, in Daniel chapter 9, uh, God told Daniel through an angel, probably it would be, I would think it would be Gabriel, told Daniel that there would be 70 weeks for thy people, and after 69 weeks, Messiah the Prince would come, and exactly 69 weeks of lunar calendar, the Jewish calendar, 360 day years, 483 years to the day from when the commandment went forth by the Persian prince, provable outside of the Bible in Persian history books, that Longevinus gave the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem. And on that day, from when that commandment was given, Jesus Christ rode into the city on a donkey, uh, which means you're coming in peace, which he did. He came in peace to lay down his life. But when he comes back, he's coming as on a horse. Uh, to conquer, and but there's one more, one one more week because Daniel, being a Jew, for thy people, he said. So that's seventy weeks. There's another seven years to go. Another week of Jewish calendar lunar years, and uh, that's still in the future. The time clock stop. Why is that? Well, it's happened before in the Old Testament, when uh, the um, there's no king on the throne, uh, then the time clock stops, and so when the Lord uh, when um, uh, so that when God starts to deal, when he takes the uh, Gentiles out, 
you know, the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled, then then I believe that's when uh, God will uh, start the clock again, and there'll be that final countdown until when the Lord Jesus Christ returns and steps his foot down on the Mount of Olives, which is what the Bible says. And you all think, oh, some of you might, anyway, some of you won't, who read your Bible and believe it. That's what it's all about. Being a Christian is about believing God. That's really what it was. That's, that is, is accounted for righteousness, to believe what God says. And uh, I believe that. I believe that the, the book from cover to cover, all of it, it's the, um, the most precious book from the mouth of God through men, dictated through men, inspired by God, given to us so that we know who we are, where we came from, how to live, and where we're going when we die. Just marvelous. Anyway, so uh, that I, I think I, d- I didn't really start on that one, did I, very, very well. The Civil Service Commission has called on Sunday for Sarah Netanyahu's chief of staff to be suspended for a series of inflammatory Facebook posts lashing out at so-called leftists, I have to agree with her, amid the ongoing war in Gaza, sparked by Hamas's terror group's deadly surprise assault in southern, uh, southern Israel, and that was on the 7th of October. In a letter to Yoshi Shelley, the Director General of the Prime Minister's Office, Guy David, the Head of Civil Service uh, Commission's Disciplines Department, flagged a number of posts in recent days by Tipsy Navron, including... Tip, Tipsy. It's a funny name, isn't it? Including her use of the term traitor, traitors, treasonous, kikes, scum... And fifth column, fifth column, in one Facebook post announcing a group criticizing Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for the October 7th Hamas massacre, Navon wrote that the traitors from the left are continuing to incite against the Premier. In another post, she wrote on Channel 12 and 13, we're trying to divide the harm. She wrote, rather, that Channel 12 and 13 were trying to divide the harm Jewish morale and harm Jewish morale during the current war in Gaza and separately called Channel 12 fifth columnists. In another post, uh, Navon responded a, uh, a picture of body bags, ostensibly of victims of the Hamas massacre, writing, Well, paedophile friend, brothers in arms, the Air Force and Army enlistment refuses. You are satisfied now? in reference to former Prime Minister uh, Ehud Barak and the anti-judicial overhaul movement. Sarah Netanyahu's chief of staff is a a state-paid position. She's in a state-paid position in the civil service, and she's working as an employee in the Prime Minister's residence, which is under the authority of the Prime Minister's office. So she ain't too happy, and that's her there. Good honour. Good honour for speaking up. And I hope I don't think I'll have time to today, but uh, after 7 o'clock I will be, um, uh, will be taking a live uh, feed from Israel News Talk too. And that gives you a bit of an idea of what's going on on the ground. And uh, so, you know, just sort of to balance things out a little bit more. Okay, it's 7 minutes to 7. And uh, so we'll move away from the Times of Israel and uh, when I come back, we'll have uh, a listen to, um, who have I got lined up for you? Um, I haven't got time to play Jonathan Kahn. He's been very, very good. But um, perhaps tomorrow we might be able to do that. But uh, in the meantime, we'll have a listen to um, Hamas, what they, they've actually, what they are actually saying.
and listen to the piece at the end about their fundamental life philosophy. For all these people saying, two-state solution, you guys reference it at the top, right? Like the BS of like, that's what they want. They just want to live in peace next to Israel with a two-state solution. Bullshit. They want like what Patrice Cullors wants. They want the eradication of Israel. There is no possibility of peace with this group. Don't believe me? Listen to the senior Hamas official here. We've done our own voiceover of the translation. The zero hour was kept completely secret. A limited number of Hamas leaders knew it. The number of people who knew about the attack and its timing could be counted on one hand. In the past couple of years, Hamas has adopted a rational approach. It did not go into any war and did not join the Islamic Jihad in its recent battle. But all this was part of Hamas's strategy in preparing for this attack. Of course, we made them think that Hamas was busy governing in Gaza and that it wanted to focus on the two and a half million Palestinians there and that they had abandoned the resistance altogether. All the while, under the table, Hamas was preparing for this big attack. In order to keep the attack secret and successful, the different factions and our allies did not know the zero hour. The Israelis are known to love life. We, on the other hand, sacrifice ourselves. We consider our dead to be martyrs. The thing any Palestinian desires the most is to be martyred for the sake of Allah, defending his land. Our allies are those that support us with weapons and money. First and foremost, it is Iran that gives us money and weapons. We are not alone on the battlefield. And there you have it. This is, there's no greater glory for the Palestinians than to die for their land. They need to get rid of the Israelis who are so pesky in the way that they love life. And thank God we can do it with the help of Iran. By the way, new Washington Post reporting today talking all about how Iran helped, helped plan it, helped fund it. Now, I thought the sickest part of the entire thing was when he said Israel assumed, you know, we were caring for the people of Gaza, that, that we were governing Gaza. But in secret, we were, you know, building rockets and, and building gliders that we could use to murder people at a music festival. I mean, just think about that, because I see a lot of folks on the left and journalists talking about, oh, you know, um, you know, Israel is committing a war crime because the electricity in Gaza is out and they don't have clean water. Well, Hamas digs up the water pipes to build rockets uh, to shoot them into Israel. I mean, the people yeah. who are terrorizing Gaza are Hamas itself, and they're proud of it. They're proud of what they are doing. They think it's a weakness of the Israelis that they love life. I'm going to sing a song tonight that I think is appropriate, uh, given everything that's going on over in Israel. And um, this is a song that I've sung a number of times with uh, IDF soldiers, Israeli Defense Forces soldiers on their IDF bases in Israel. And I have uh, a couple of really dear friends who uh, were IDF soldiers at the time. And uh, I've never played this with a guitar. I've always just sung it a cappella with those soldiers. But this is the Israeli national anthem, the Hatikva, the hope. Kolod baleva benima nefesh yehuli homia ulfate miz 
Mizrach Kadima Ein Letzion Sophia Odo Avdatikvatenu Hatikva Bachnot Liotam Hoshi Beyadzenu Eretzion Yerushalayim Liotam Hoshi Beyadzenu Eretzion I stand with Israel. God bless the people of Israel. We will ask Helen Clark to be answerable. What did you do in those years there? What agreements did you make to sell your own country out so you could get ahead? What have you done to us, Helen? And we will cut all ties with the World Health Organization. Totally corrupted. And, and we will cut all ties with the World Economic Forum. Absolutely. They are a ludicrous bunch. And I would actually say that any politician who goes off to any of their conferences is guilty of treason to us. Simply go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. This is Jason Alborn with a wrap-up of this week's news. 263 young people have been slaughtered at a dance party near Kibbutz Urim in southern Israel. The death toll in Israel has now reached 700. Men, women and children, including elderly people, were executed in the street and young people shot dead at a dance party. There has never been anything like this in Israel's history. On Saturday, hundreds of Hamas terrorists infiltrated the country in an unprecedented onslaught of southern communities with at least 700 killed, over 2,200 wounded and scores kidnapped and taken into the Gaza Strip. The number included many civilians as well as soldiers. The mission was named by Hamas as Operation Al-Aqsa, named after the mosque in disputed East Jerusalem. Last Wednesday, Orthodox Jews entered the area of the mosque on the Jewish festival of Sukkot and were seen to be spitting on locals. Tempers flared and were condemned by the Israeli government. On July 27, Israeli's National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir led a group of more than a 1,000 ultra-nationalist settlers to the Al-Aqsa compound in occupied East Jerusalem, his third such entrance to the site this year. This place is important to us and we have to return it and prove our sovereignty, Ben-Gavir said as he led the group, adding that the unity of the nation of Israel is important. This place the provocative is important minister's entrance to, us, to the 
holy site on Thursday took place as Jews observed Tisha B'Av, a fast day mourning the destruction of two ancient Jewish temples. Jews believe that when the Messiah comes, he will build the third temple on the site and bring peace on earth. Iran's President Ibrahim Raisi said on Sunday that Tehran supports the Palestinians' right to self-defence and warned Israel must be held accountable for endangering the region a day after Hamas attacked Israel. The Zionist regime and its supporters are responsible for endangering the security of nations in the region and they must be held accountable in this matter, he said. He urged Muslim governments to support the Palestinian nation while praising resistance efforts from Hamas and Islamic Jihad, as well as in countries including Syria, Lebanon and Iraq. The attacks have been condemned by US President Joe Biden, UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Whilst Donald Trump also condemned the attacks, he pointed the finger at Joe Biden and his recent prisoner swap and return of $6 billion in funds to Iran as aiding the attacks. Iran does not recognise Israel and has made support for the Palestinian cause a centrepiece of its foreign policy since the 1979 Islamic Revolution. And the IDF calls on all residents of Gaza City to evacuate their homes, move south for their protection and settle in the area south of the Gaza River. The military said in a post on X, this evacuation is for your personal safety. It will be possible to return to Gaza City only after a notification confirming this. With more, here is TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Now many of been wondering when uh, Israel is going to actually conduct their ground invasion of the Gaza Strip. They've been talking about it for the last 72 hours, and now this order comes in telling the UN that the people in the Gaza Strip, the northern Gaza Strip, 1.1 million in the northern section, that they have to leave. They have 24 hours to evacuate before, presumably, Israel carpet bombs this no. entire section of a very no, large, no. densely populated city. Uh, i, I got to tell you, i, I got to say that Patrick is absolutely full of crap. Uh, they're not carpet bombing. They're not doing that now. They're bombing. Uh, they're taking out um, militants at the moment. And people, there is collateral damage. There's no doubt about that. But it's going to be a ground offensive. It's not going to be a carpet bombing. And they've and you know what do you want the what do you want Israel to say after they've massacred their people? What do you want them to do, Patrick? Do you want them to just let them get away with it? If they did that, there would be there would be anarchy in the streets in Israel by the people. They already distrust the leftist government. That's what they're calling them. And uh, so you know what what do you what do you want? They've they've they're warning the Palestinians to get out because they're coming in, coming in to free the hostages if they're still alive, and also to, to punish those responsible to remove Hamas from the Gaza Strip. And so uh, Israelis are happy to live side by side, but the Muslims in Palestine are not, in, in, in the Gaza Strip, are not. They don't want to live next to them. They want to destroy them. And that's been, that is it's all about the annihilation of the, of the Jewish people. They don't want a two-state solution. They want Israel gone. They want them wiped from the face of the map. And that's the truth of it. And Patrick Henderson, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You know, you're, you're, you're just, there's something sick about someone that has a hatred for Israelis. Something really sick about that. It's seven minutes past seven. We'll be back in a moment. We'll look at weather for New Zealand the short, with a short forecast. From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. 
Okay, let's look at the extreme temperatures at seven minutes past seven. Good morning, and thanks for joining me for the last couple of hours here at the Liberty NZ uh, Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. Kai Tyre, 15.2 degrees right now at this time. And Waitati is 1.6. It's warmed up a bit there. Castle Point is the windiest place to be, 15 kilometres. It's actually increased the wind now, 50 kilometres per hour. Uh, blowing through there. Mount Cook now is uh, the wettest place to be at the moment. 1.6 millimetres falling on Mount Cook. Looking at the temperatures across the main centres, Stewart Island and Invercargill on 6 and 5. Dunedin has two, uh, five, uh, oh, beg your pardon, 8 degrees. Timaru, that has 2 degrees. Chatham Islands has warmed up now with 12 degrees. Queenstown's got a little cooler. was warmer earlier. I think it got up to about, eight, uh, about 5 o'clock or 4 o'clock. It was around about 8 degrees. And now it's chilled right off with uh, 4 degrees. France Joseph on the west coast of the South Island, 5 degrees for you. Westport and Nelson are on 8 and 6 degrees. Christchurch has 10 degrees. Did I say that Timaru had 2 degrees? I did, I think, along with Blenheim. And Nelson's on 6. Across the Cook Strait to Wellington, our capital city, soon to be filled with the blue wave of the National Party and ACT, uh, two uh, globalist parties. Uh, Wellington is on uh, 9 degrees. Masterton, quite warm there, along with Napier, both on 12 degrees. Palmerston North has 10. New Plymouth has 6. Tapo is on 8, along with Rotorua. And Gisborne's on 12. Hamilton, 7 degrees. Tauranga, 11. Gisborne is on 12. And Wangarei, 13. Kaitai, you're the warmest, 15.2. The short forecast for the northern half of the North Island from Taranaki across to Taupo and from the Bay of Plenty northwards. Fine spells, isolated showers about Northland and Auckland, spreading through the south this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne, Hawke's Bay and Taihapi, also for Wanganui and Manawatu, mainly fine weather, isolated showers about Manawatu, they'll be clearing this morning. For Horuanua, Kapiti Coast, Wellington and Wairarapa, also for the Marlborough Sounds and Nelson, cloudy periods with rain developing tonight. For Buller, Westland and Fiordland, rain at times, possibly heavy, becoming persistent about Buller and Westland this evening. For Canterbury, mainly fine, with increasing high cloud, however, scattered rain developing about the high country this morning. For Otago, scattered rain developing this morning, rain becoming widespread in the evening. For Southland, occasional showers, clearing about the coast this evening. And finally for the Chathams, a few showers uh, this morning. And then you've got fine weather. It's nine past seven. Thank you very much for joining me. And Lord willing, I'll see you again tomorrow. Uh, it's, uh, tomorrow is the 17th, I believe. And uh, I'll see you at five o'clock, Lord willing. From beach towels to tea towels and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. And before I go, I'll introduce Jonathan Khan about the Israeli war and the name of Hamas and what it means. In Hebrew, the word means violence, evil, destruction. All that, 9-11, all that yesterday. But the word in modern Arabic has a very different meaning. It means zeal, fervor, fire, and fanaticism, as in Islamic fanaticism. So what happened on 9-11, what happened yesterday was evil, destruction, death, and it was fanaticism. But here's the thing. The word, you know what the word is? The word in Hebrew, in the Bible, is the word Hamas. Hamas is the name of the organization of terror that was behind what happened yesterday. 
And it's in the Bible. Uh, those are the remarks ahead of that meeting. I will be uh, back in New York when we get any more details from it. Now, though, we can speak to Ambassador uh, Hussam Zondot, who's head of the uh, Palestinian mission to the United Kingdom. Thank you very much for coming on the programme. Just want to take you back to Saturday morning when you first heard what Hamas had done. What went through your head? Regret that the international community has not heeded our warnings for all these years. Regret that this was allowed to fester for decades. Regret that there is attention now in the BBC and all over the world uh, only because blood has been spilled. I only hope that, or I wish, we did not get to this moment. So because you listed the, you listed a number of things you regret there. Do you regret the loss of innocent life in Israel? Every every loss of life is regrettable, of course, and tragic. Absolutely. The question is how do we stop this? How do we provide an alternative path? How do we learn the lessons and the mistakes of the past? How do we treat the Palestinian people after a hundred years of suffering equally to all other nations? How do we stop this demise? into the mayhem that you have described. Do not underestimate people's will and desire for freedom to end occupation and captivity. This isn't about Hamas only. This isn't about the last 48 hours. This has been ongoing for more than 100 years. It started here, by the way, Luis, in this very city. It was Britain that gave our rights away without even consulting us. And then this whole international Western approach to us has been failure, dismal failure. This is about time that we really give a different path because there is no other alternative. As our ambassador today even just said, justice, not vengeance, not vengeance, and peace, not war. And we, the Palestine National Movement, we, the PLO, have given that alternative avenue 30 years ago. We have recognized Israel. We have committed to negotiations and nonviolence. We have committed to international law and resolutions. Israel was supposed to do one thing, end its occupation and stop its colonial settlement expansion. It did not do this for once. All the successive governments and the international community were supposed to provide accountability and guarantees. The U.S.-led international community did not do so. So okay. we are here today, Louise, and the question is, the most important question, how do we stop Israeli massacres that are about to happen against Palestinian civilians, well, and how do we... I want to jump in on, and I, I appreciate the historical context, and we will come back to that. Just on the last 48 hours, though, do you support what Hamas launched on Saturday morning? Well, this is not the right question, I know. It's really the right it's question. It's an important question. No, it is not an important question. You, because, because Whether you support their action or not is an important question. No, 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 no. it is not an important question. Hamas is a, is a group, is a militant group, you're talking to, uh, with the Palestinian representative. Our position is very well known and clear. And what, it, what and, is that? Do you support you Hamas? Cannot, and, and then you cannot equate. You cannot equate. This is not about support or not support. I am here to represent my people, the Palestinian people, what they are going through. I'm not here to condemn anybody. And if anybody that needs to be condemned, it's what you call the only democracy in the Middle East, that is Israel, between parentheses, that is doing what you have just reported targeting civilians, and this has not just happened in the last 48 hours. Hamas you, was just I'll targeting you, Palestinians, you, but you won't condemn uh, that. I'll tell, I'll tell you one thing, I'll tell you one thing. Hamas is not the Palestinian government, okay? 
the Israeli government is giving orders for its organized army. So please don't draw any symmetry here. Don't equate. There is no way you can draw any symmetry. And don't equate between the occupied and the occupied. This doesn't, this, this doesn't serve justice to understand for your audience and viewers the real uh, situation. Since Israel's establishment, it has had one military doctrine. When it fights, it goes and fights civilians, kills civilians, so they pressure the, the fighters. Since 1948, and go back to the record, and this has been repeated in Gaza and will continue to be repeated. So the conversation is not a blame game. I am not in the business of blaming the victim here. The, the real conversation is how do we stop this vicious, deadly cycle? You just condemned Israel for killing civilians and you won't condemn Hamas for killing civilians. How many times you have interviewed Israeli officials, Louise? Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. How many times Israel have committed war crimes right live on your own cameras? Do you start by asking them to condemn themselves? Have you? You don't. You don't. No, no, I'll answer that question. You don't. You know why I refuse to answer this question? Because I, I refuse the premise of it. Because at the very heart of it is misrepresentation of the whole thing. Because it's the Palestinians that are always expected to condemn themselves. I mean, come on, this is a political conflict. We have been denied our rights for a long time. So this is the wrong starting point. The right starting point is to focus on the root causes, is to try and get out of this extreme dark tunnel, as opposed to this business and how, by how, BBC how, and the mainstream media for, for 75 years. You, get, you bring us here whenever there are Israelis who are killed. Did you bring me here when many Palestinians in the West Bank, more than 200 uh, over the last few months? Do you invite me when there are such Israeli provocations in Jerusalem and elsewhere? Because Israel, what Israelis have seen, which we started by saying tragic, the last 48 hours, the Palestinians see every day for the last 78, uh, 50, 50 years. You know the situation, Gazo, you've just described it. This is the biggest open-air present. Those people, 2 million, have been taken hostage by Israel for the last 16 years. So I'm saying this just to say, Louis, perhaps this is about time we abandon this, this rhetoric, very dangerous, this framework, and we start giving people the real ugly truth sometimes. What is the solution in your eyes? International law. That's it. International, the equal application of international resolutions and law and legitimacy. As you did in Ukraine. Would you bring the Ukrainian ambassador here and start asking him to condemn some of his fighters? We need to fully and equally apply the rules that were created by the League of Nations after the horrors of the Second World War. We need to make sure that Israel is not the exception. It has been for the last 75 years. We need to make sure that nobody is above the law. Britain is renowned, Louise, for the rule of law. I think that's the solution. Israel is an occupying force. It is responsible to provide protection for the people under its occupation. And should they commit crimes and crimes against humanity in the coming hours, and weeks, it must be held accountable by the international community and the international judicial system. Yes, Sam, thank you very much for coming on the program. Thank you. Just relax and listen to the radio.